0: And now for
1: something completely different.
0: This is the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Let's do it.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. With you till three on this Wednesday. Hoping to get you over the hump and towards the weekend with plenty to do over the next few hours. Coming up, has the Big Ten moved ahead of the SEC? And what's next for the SEC with all of college football's realignment? Plus, What can the Gamecocks do to improve their game day experience? Which first year head coach in the NFL will have the largest impact on their team this year? More rule changes coming to at least minor league baseball. An update on that Zach Wilson story. And a whole lot more throughout the afternoon. We'll hear from Baker Mayfield later on. We'll talk about some of the best receivers in the NFL. Plus... Why quarterbacks aren't just important for your favorite NFL team, but your health as well. Get to that later on. Anything else? We'll talk some golf with Jeremy Schilling an hour from now. And oh, yeah, today is National French Friday. So, of course, we have to break that down throughout the afternoon. With you till three, you can always join the conversation throughout the afternoon. Get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. Head over to charlestonsportsradio.com. Click on our show page. Leave a comment for the show there. On Facebook, at ESPN Radio Charleston, via email studio at KirkmanBroadcasting.com, or you can always text the show, 843-608-1734, or join the conversation on the phones as well, 843-721-9500 to give us a call. With you, till three on this Wednesday with plenty to do. Trent's actually on this side of the glass, not, not that you can see anyways, but Trent, let me say hello to you first. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing great, Luke.
1: Thank you for allowing me to be in studio yeah. with you. This is pretty fun. Obviously, we've got to train up some young guns uh, behind the glass, so it's good to be here in studio to see the man, the myth, the legend himself work on this side of the glass. It's a beautiful thing, folks. Beautiful thing. Oh,
2: yeah. Something like that. It's always <laughs> nice to work with an audience, let me tell you. And uh, what was it? There was a book we had to read growing up, and um, I think it was *Lord of the Flies*, and uh, where they get like stranded on an island, mm. and then there's one kid in particular. I can't remember his name, but he becomes like the leader of the group. That's become Trent around here because we have all these youngins now in the building, which <laughs> I love and I appreciate. But uh, yeah, Trent's become the head honcho, and so you're hanging out with me, and on the other side of the glass we have who is affectionately referred to as Intern Anderson. Right? <laughs> Interns become like your first name, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> You guys held down the fort while I was gone last week. Good to have you, uh, all three of us, now part of the show here today. It's okay, because I've we've had the Morrow Midday Show here. for um, We're heading towards year number five in just a few weeks, and uh, people still spell my name wrong in the building, <laughs> and they also get the name of the show wrong pretty frequently. So it's okay uh, to be known as the intern around here, as you affectionately are, because people still don't know my name after almost five years. <laughs> so welcome aboard to the Morrow Midday Show officially. Obviously, you and Trent worked together last week when I wasn't here. But uh, good to have every. We got a we got a full team working on the Morrow midday show. That's how much we. That's how much help we need around here. How much we're processing. Hey, uh, let me start with this. Let's dive right in. The SEC and the Big Ten. We have um, obviously all the moving around in college football, and now it's becoming a debate of has the Big Ten done enough to pass the SEC by? Ryan Clark was debating this with Keyshawn Johnson on ESPN yesterday. Now, of course. Keep in mind, Keyshawn Johnson played at USC. They're now in the Big Ten. He's had uh, uh, family members play at Ohio State who, of course, are in the Big Ten. Ryan Clark played in the SEC. So you have two guys on the opposite side of the debate. Here was Ryan Clark's response to the idea from Keyshawn Johnson that the Big Ten is now ahead of the SEC. Here's uh, what Ryan Clark said.
3: If we were talking about like the 1970s or the 1980s, you know, (laughs) in Michigan's heyday or in USC's heyday or when somebody actually cared about Penn State, maybe this argument makes some sense, but it doesn't. Because, actually, Oklahoma stays in the college football playoff. They want to come see us. Texas just got Arch Manning. They doling out that money in NIL. They're about to come up, which is why they chose the SEC. And, really, we kind of have our pick in the litter. Hey, you know what? Alabama doesn't win the championship this year. Oh, my God. Cam Newton goes to Auburn, and he wins the championship. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Who played in the championship this year? Was it in two SEC teams? Oh, my God. Had those teams ever played before in the national championship? Oh my God, they have! And so it's like everywhere we go, it's SEC, SEC, SEC. And you mentioned Michigan. I remember Michigan had a really good year last year. Michigan was very dominant in the Big Ten. Michigan got curb stumped in the college football playoff. But wait, where is that team from? Oh wait, the SEC. It is <laughs> so crazy that you guys are sitting here. Oh, it's just Alabama. No. Florida's won, Auburn's won. We are always in that thing.
2: Ryan Clark's response to the idea that the Big Ten is now past the SEC by. You know, there's um, Bob Gibson, I think was the one that said it in baseball. A nice baseball catch is like a pretty girl. It's the best one until the next one comes along, something along those lines. You always say like, wow, that's the greatest catch I've ever seen. Then you'll see another nice catch the next night, say the same thing, same idea. Like, wow, that's the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. Then another one comes in and you think the same, same thing about her, so on and so forth. It's the recency bias. So same idea. The Big Ten has made the most recent move adding USC to UCLA. Do we really think that's enough to suddenly bump them ahead of the SEC after what has actually happened on the football field the last 15 years? If you go back over the last 17 years, last 17 national champions, 12 have come from the SEC. One from the Big Ten. That was Ohio State. They have one of the last 17 college football championships. The SEC has 12. Now let's be kind and let's give the Big Ten credit for their new members. They're adding USC, UCLA, and if, you know, we will even be so kind that we'll give them Notre Dame and try to forecast in the future. Add those three schools to the mix. How many national championships has the Big Ten won the last 17 years? Still one. Texas has won a title more recently than USC, UCLA, or Notre Dame, and Texas will be joining the SEC. So not only has the SEC been more dominant over the past 17-plus years, but also when you look at the teams coming in, And what they've done on a national stage, Texas more recently has won a championship compared to USC or anybody the Big Ten's adding. So do the math. That's 13 SEC titles if we want to include uh, Texas. 13 national championships for the SEC compared to one for the Big Ten in the last 18 years. It's it's no conversation. No debate. Georgia and Alabama are two of the top three favorites this year, both out of the SEC. As Ryan Clark mentioned, Michigan, yeah, they got to the playoff last year. That was blown out by an SEC team. Oklahoma has the most playoff appearances of these four teams that are on the move. They're going to the SEC. UCLA's the worst by far of these four teams on the move. They're going to the Big Ten. And obviously the conversation is always about football. We only focus on football, but if we want to consider all sports as well, in baseball, the SEC has now won, what, three straight titles? And they're adding Texas. The Big Ten hasn't won a national championship in baseball since 1966. In basketball, the Big Ten hasn't won a championship since Michigan State surprised everybody on what will be 23 years ago by the time we get to next March Madness. The SEC has four championships in college basketball to the Big Ten's one in the last three decades. The SEC was already clearly the best conference in football. And if we want to compare them to the Big Ten, they've been better in baseball, they've even been better in terms of winning championships in basketball in the last few decades football it's no debate the sec has been the best conference in football for a long long time and far superior to the big ten the big ten offers up ohio state and that's about it if you remove ohio state from the big ten they're a little bit like the acc they have more depth more talented teams michigan got to the playoff last year but nobody that can seriously compete for a national championship outside of ohio state And after this past championship, which, as Ryan Clark mentioned, was two SEC teams, do we think that simply just by adding UCLA and USC, that that puts the Big Ten on top of the SEC, ignoring the fact that the SEC will be adding Oklahoma and Texas? Does USC and UCLA suddenly make them that much better? Because I'd rather have the combination of Oklahoma and Texas than the combination of USC and UCLA coming to my conference. I think USC may be the best of those four teams, in the next, let's say, decade because of Lincoln-Riley, but I think UCLA clearly, by far, will be the worst. I'll take the two schools in the middle and what they bring to the table, then USC and UCLA. Speaking of the moving around in college football, Nick Saban did a podcast yesterday, and this is getting a lot of run. Nick Saban was talking about uh, realignment. He said that these power conferences are here to stay. I would assume so. It's not really breaking news. But here was Nick Saban's comments yesterday about uh, the impact it's having on college football moving forward, all this moving around right now in college football?
4: My biggest concern is competitive balance. You know, the NFL, which I was involved in for eight years, every rule that they have is to create competitive balance. And if they could have every team go eight and eight, so at the end of the season, every team was playing their last game to get in the playoffs, they would be A all right because how much fan interest does that create you know how, how much tv ratings and all the things that go into all these things um does that create we don't have any guardrails on what we're doing right now all right so um we have no restrictions on who can do what some people are going to be capable of doing certain things other people are not going to be capable but the the, the bottom line is is we'll lose competitive balance, which everything we've always done in college football is to maintain competitive balance. Same scholarship, everybody had to play by the same rules and whether it was recruiting or whatever. Alright, so um right now that, that's not that that's not how it is. All right. So if that's the case you're going to create more haves and more have nots. Therefore, there'll be less good games.
2: Nick Saban yesterday talking about the current shape of college football. I agree with just about everything he said, including that last part, the haves and the have-nots. I think college football could trend in a direction in all of this if we aren't there already, kind of like baseball or even the NBA, where the NBA has tried to counterattack the tanking. Major League Baseball hasn't done enough to try to stop the tanking. And so you have certain cities that just aren't interested in in the sport because their teams are always lousy and aren't trying the ideal situation for any of these sports which is what nick was mentioning about the nfl and the nfl does this better than anybody is that every city and their fan base believes that their team can do something special that year and so they're all invested and they're all interested the nba has failed at this major league baseball certainly has failed at this and the problem with major league baseball is the season is so long that when you have a team that either starts to crater and fall apart or you have a team that's just not very competitive that year. It is such a long year to have a city, a fan base, a team be disinterested. And for college football, we may head in that direction with the haves and the have-nots, with the two power conferences. If you're a fan of another school, if we aren't already in this situation, right, why should you care so much? Again, we're probably already there. The champion usually just comes from the SEC. is so dominant. It's what we've been, we've been complaining about in college football that it's, it's too um, obvious. It's too predictable. If you're a fan of only about 10 schools, you have a realistic chance of competing for a national championship. The other 120 fan bases, it's like, all right, hopefully we go to a bowl, which nobody cares about anymore. But we're further creating that divide in college football with these moves moving forward. However, with that said, I disagree with Nick in terms of the competitive balance. The NFL has done a great job creating that competitive balance. College football has never really cared about it. What Saban said was true about scholarships. That's always been even. You always play by the same rules, essentially. But the NFL, right? whether it's the waiver wire, the draft order, the scheduling, they always make it more difficult on the better teams and easier on the bad teams to try to keep them all in the middle of the league, in the middle class. You try to knock down the high-class teams, try to raise up the, the low class and get them all on the same level. College football's not like that. Nick Saban controls his own schedule. He gets whatever recruits he wants. They haven't gone on the road right, out of the conference to another team's campus in over a decade. Uh, You control your own schedule, as I said. The SEC dominates the the conversation with the playoff. There's nothing that's done in college football to try to curb the dynasties. In fact, college football is built to help out the dynasties. College football has always been about dynasties. The NFL is what makes the Patriots so impressive because it's hard to have sustained success in the NFL. But with Nick Saban's comments yesterday talking about, you know, this is – the future of the sport, these mega-conferences aren't going to go away. At the same time, we also had this report from Matt Hayes of Saturday Down South who said SEC sources claim to want to end conference expansion and keep the SEC at these 16 teams moving forward. The quote was, we're positioned at 16 teams for a robust future. The need just isn't there. That was the source. And I don't blame them for having this idea that the SEC should be set now with 16 teams. The TV contract is set with ESPN. It kicks in two football seasons from now, and it runs for a decade, taking us to 2034. So with the TV contract set, there's no need to make any sort of changes for the SEC until about 2034. They're locked in with a $3 billion TV deal over that 10-year run. Why would you want to divide that up with even more programs? Right now, you take that $3 billion, you split it up amongst the 16 teams. But if they add a few more teams to the conference, the TV contract probably isn't going to change. So then you'd be splitting up the $3 billion, say, amongst 20 teams. It just doesn't make sense for the teams already in the SEC. They don't want to split it up more ways. We talk a lot about greed in these conversations, whether it was Dana White yesterday or the golfers in the Live Golf Tour or these athletes that demand big contracts, Freddie Freeman. We're all greedy. And the SEC, greedy as well. I'm sure it's why they added Oklahoma and Texas. But greedy in the sense that now they don't want to split that pie in further ways. The SEC doesn't want more teams. They don't need more teams. They're doing just fine. They're the best conference in football. They really didn't need Texas and Oklahoma. But that was a big get to add those two. They're the best conference in the sport. They're making plenty of money. They've already added now Texas and Oklahoma, two more big brands. They don't want to split the money more ways. You know, I just spent last week in my home state of Connecticut. Connecticut just legalized uh, marijuana shops, recreational marijuana. And they got 10,000 applicants for those wanting to open up a store. 10,000 people. Connecticut has cleared 170 licenses, so they're only going to give out 170. In the state of Connecticut, we're going to have 170 marijuana shops. 10,000 people are applying. Connecticut could could obviously up that number, but why won't they? Because they don't need to, and they don't want to. Do you really need more than 170 stores in a small state of Connecticut? I don't know. We'll see. But do they want more than 170? 170. No, because when you have 10,000 people, it's supply and demand. You have 10,000 people fighting for 170 spots. Who do you think is going to make out? Right? The, the politicians, the state of Connecticut. You don't think there's going to be some palm greasing going on for those 10,000 desperate people that want to make sure they're in the top 170? So you're going to get more money out of it. Same idea with the SEC. Why would they go to 20 teams when they can split the $3 billion among 16? The TV contract's are already set. They're getting $3 billion over the 10 years. They don't need to add more teams. They're doing just fine. But what could change this? I would say Notre Dame going to the Big Ten. Right, Notre Dame, or I should say uh, the Big Ten, responded to the SEC. When the SEC added Oklahoma and Texas, within months, we got the news now of UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten. If the Big Ten now takes the next shot, and they add somebody like a Notre Dame, which is probably the mo- most realistic, we could also say maybe a Clemson, right? You get a Clemson in the Big Ten, I don't think it would happen. But if they added a Clemson, any big brand like that, then the SEC, maybe they would have to respond. Because right now, the SEC is still leading this arms race. They were already the best conference, better than the Big Ten, and I think they've won expansion. Again, I'd rather have Oklahoma and Texas than USC and UCLA. But if the Big Ten then adds, say, a Notre Dame, maybe that will be a, a shot across the bow of the uh, USC or I should say SEC, where Greg Sankey says, okay, we need to respond. We need to try to keep up or stay ahead of what the Big Ten is doing. That could change things, which is why we played that audio earlier this week of Heather Dinich or even Tony Kornheiser or anybody. When you have this conversation, who's that golden goose? Who's the white whale that's still out there? It is Notre Dame, and for that reason. Right now, that's like the trump card. If the Big Ten wants to try to make up some space, some room on the SEC, it'll come from Notre Dame. And if and or when they do that, then maybe the SEC will have to try to respond to keep up or stay ahead. Right, go tit for tat in this arms race. But until then, yeah, the SEC's just fine. They're already the best conference in football. They got their $3 billion contract. They've already added Texas and Oklahoma. How much larger do you need to go than the 16 teams? I don't think it's the end of college football realignment. I've been saying that from day one in all this, because especially now these other conferences have to try to chase the SEC. But the SEC is leading the sport right now. So they can, at least for the time being, sit back a little bit and relax. And as the others draw maybe a little bit closer, then they can respond and make a move. But in the meantime, they don't have to sweat it out too much. At least not until, say, a Notre Dame joins the Big Ten or they get some other big fish in this conversation. Right now, the SEC, they're doing just fine. When we come back, what can the Gamecocks do to try to improve their game day experience? We'll get to that next. More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with
0: Luke.
5: Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it
0: on the Morrow Midday Show.
2: What can the gamecocks do to improve their game day experience i was trying to wait out until the words but it got too long love the talking heads and the boss was outside the door so he probably didn't appreciate 90 seconds of talking heads on a sports station but anytime you get the talking heads you let them play i've always said i think nxs is the most underrated band of the 80s i think the talking heads are up there but the talking heads had a bigger profile and david Byrne has done broadway shows and they've done movies and everything and I think uh, Collective Soul, I've always said, is the most underrated band of the '90s. Because for a period of time, they were like a Christian rock band, and so you know that's maybe not is uh, that's not everyone's deal. But Collective Soul was fantastic. In excess, Collective Soul, and then maybe a little Talking Heads. Not enough people appreciate David Byrne. David Byrne, by the way, he um, now we're on a tangent. He was the first. He was wearing all the oversized coats and clothes in the '80s, and then you go back and you look at like the NBA Finals or the NBA Draft of 2004. All those guys were wearing those big baggy suits as well. That used to be a thing, kind of coming back for some people. Hey, what can the Gamecocks do to improve their game day experience? This has become a a talking piece of late. Now, I know they're actually trying some things. They, like, added new lights to the stadium, and they're adding different little experience things uh, for the game day experience to try to help make an impact. Here is Chris Phillips. We've had him on the show before, the Spurs Up show. And uh, he was talking about, What can be done to improve the game day experience for the Gamecocks? Here were his thoughts uh, the other day on the topic.
6: Rip out all the bleachers and the way that we have seating in Founders Park with the nice fold-down chairs, the garnet chairs, put that inside the stadium. Yes, you're going to decrease attendance, but it's going to be a more premium experience. You're not packing it out anyways. You're not selling out Willie B. anyways. You're not. not. Nobody's selling out their stadiums anymore unless you're winning – 10, 11, 12 games a year. Focus on the premium experience. Make it more comfortable. Also, Willie B would look super dope with garnet seats. It would look incredible. It would look incredible. And so you go from 77,000 to, I don't know, 61,000, 62,000, you know. Make it where, you know, you're trying to hashtag catch a game. Well, if you want people to catch a game, you need to make the game-catching experience as enjoyable as possible.
2: Chris Phillips on his thought. Now, this is a topic we've talked about before just in general, not with the Gamecocks, but just going to football. I've always said football, I think, is the worst sport to go to, especially the NFL. I'd rather watch football at home, and I've gone to plenty of games. Growing up, we had season tickets uh, to UConn, uh, and so I've gone to plenty of, of college and NFL games. College football is not as bad because the stadiums usually, unless you know, you're at the Big House or some of these SEC stadiums, the are usually a little smaller, so there's not a bad seat in the house for a lot of the colleges. The NFL, though, sometimes, right, especially you're in a cold city. I mean, I grew up in the Northeast. You go to a Giants game, you go to a Patriots, you're freezing. You're in the upper deck. You can't see anything. You, don't, you can't see the first down. You miss that yellow line like when you're watching it at home. I think the experience is much better at home for football than in person. Baseball is a sport that's much better in person than at home. Because it's about the sights, the sounds, the smells, all the downtime. You're having a conversation with the people you went to the game with. You're looking around. You're reading the stats. You're getting peanuts, whatever it is. It doesn't matter if the game's moving slowly. When you're just sitting on your couch watching it on TV, you only see two of the ten guys on the field at one time. And basketball is kind of in the middle where I could take or leave it. Right In person or on TV, it's kind of the same experience. Hockey is definitely better in person. Football, though, I think it was better at home. And so it's a real uphill battle. For these schools or NFL teams to try to continue to get people through the doors. I'd rather watch the game on a 60-inch TV in my heat or air conditioning, depending on which part of the country you're in, with free drinks and food. Well, once you buy them, right, they're less expensive. But you have beer and food in the kitchen You walk over to. you got a bathroom without a line. You can see what's going on in the game. The announcers provide some insight. You get the injury updates, all that sort of stuff. I think it's better, better experience at home. So that's first and foremost. That just ing- and This is not a Gamecock issue kind of just a football issue in the direction we've gone in. Now you have HD TVs. You have cheap TVs. Uh, the experience is better. More camera angles, better technology. When it comes to South Carolina in particular, what could they do? I know, they, like I said, they've adjusted the lights. Chris Phillips there talking about changing the seats. That's you know, kind of like what the Yankees did with New Yankee Stadium. Uh, they have uh, fewer seats but more suites. They upped the the big game day experience, to try to get more money from the companies in the suites as opposed to just the average fan getting a bleacher seat. The Gamecocks could try to do something like that. But realistically, does it really make a difference? Are you going to go to more South Carolina games if there's some chair back seats instead of bleachers? Like, is that the big difference? Maybe if you become a certain age and you don't want to be sitting in the metal bleachers anymore, it hurts your back. I think for most people, that doesn't change a whole lot. The additions on the concourse or concession stand, you appreciate it. It may make the experience better, but is that really going to get you to more games? Like, oh, hold on. Right, there's a larger concourse now where more concession stands. i got to go see a game. Maybe. Maybe that was the big, uh, that was the nail in the coffin originally, the deal breaker for you, waiting in line and the different options and the bathrooms need to be upgraded or whatever it is. I think it's pretty simple, though. For any school to try to get more people at the games or to try to improve the experience, you just have to win. Right, everybody loves a winner. And I've always said for South Carolina, the fans are better than the program deserves. It's the classic line in, uh, that Jimmy Fallon movie, that Red Sox movie, Fever Pitch, where one of his he's a, he's a teacher in the movie. If you haven't seen it, Jimmy Fallon, one of his students says, "You love the Red Sox. When have they ever loved you back?" Similar to the Gamecocks, the love given from the fans to the program is not the same as what you're reciprocating or what they're reciprocating back to you. What you're getting in return. The Beatles had that famous line: right, "The love that you the love that you give is the love that you get." Something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing. In this case, that's not uh, the how it works. Gamecock fans give far more love than the programs give them back. And you supported that team when they were 0-11 over 20 years ago. But for any program in general, the number one rule, like, hey, how can we get more people to come to the games? How can people have more fun at our game? Just win. Just play better football. That's the main thing. And when you're not a very good team, people are far less interested. And when you're competing for either a national championship or, you know, your conference, people are, of course, going to be more invested. It's simple. If you go back and look at the top attendance in college football last year, Michigan was number one. They had their best season in years. Now, Penn State was number two, but they've built up such a culture over time that, again, they're going to be supported through the down years because of the success they've had in the past. Then you have Alabama, number three, best program in college football. Texas A&M, number four, who just missed the playoff the year prior and has brought in some good recruiting classes. Ohio State, number five, the best program in the Big Ten. LSU number six, who had just won a national championship a couple years ago. Georgia was number seven, who did win a national championship. Texas number eight is an outlier in the sense that they haven't been very good for a long time, but they did win a national championship 15 years ago, and they're one of the bigger brands in college football. Tennessee number nine, you could put them in the same boat as South Carolina, but also remember about 24 years ago, they won a national championship. And then Nebraska number 10, which again, Nebraska, you may be surprised, how are they top 10? What a great fan base they have. But at one time, Back in the 90s, they were one of the top programs in all of college football. And that resonates and that stays with you. The top ten programs in terms of attendance have all won a national championship within, what, the last 30 years? Uh, I don't think it's some sort of coincidence. Most of them within the last 20, 25 years. Just win, right? As Al Davis said, just win, baby. That's all you need. You can improve the lights. You can widen the concourse, add more concession in. That's all appreciated. There's no negative to that. People aren't going to be upset at those additions but is it really going to impact your Saturday? Like, hey, the Gamecocks lost, but those lights were really cool. Do you really care? Is it really going to draw more people in? The easiest way to do it is just simply by winning. And for Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks with their building, yeah, you hope more wins are going to come. It's an exciting time right now for a South Carolina fan. That may get you out this season. But once the team, or I should say if the team, not once, but say the team begins, maybe like last year, didn't they start 1-4 and four in SEC play? And then some of your... Hype or excitement may dissipate a little bit. Maybe you don't go to every game the rest of the way at that point. Everybody loves a winner. Eh, Just win. You'll get more people there. People will enjoy their experiences more. That's the easiest solution. It's not easy to win more, but it's the easiest way to get more people at your games or invested in your program. Attendance is down across the board in college football year after year after year. It's been going down every year for the past decade uh, because, again, I go back to my original point in this whole conversation. I prefer just watching the game at home, than I do in person. You can watch all the different games. You have multiple TVs set up. You keep an eye on the rest of the conference. Or if you're in this state, you're watching South Carolina, you're watching Clemson, you're rooting against them. If you're a Gamecock fan, maybe even have the Citadel on one of the TVs or you're listening on the radio, that would be appreciated. Uh, You're paying attention to everybody. I prefer that as well, instead of just devoting my day to one game, hoping a team wins and not being able to see as well, sitting in the upper deck and it's 90 degrees out and I'm out in the sun. And you have to pay $10 for a beer. The experience for football, we've gotten to a point now where it's just better at home than it is in person. And every team's fighting against that. But the easiest fix or uh, the easiest solution, just win. That's all. That's all as if it's that simple, right? But it is that simple in terms of how do we get more people interested in our program? By winning. That's how. Vanderbilt will never be top 10 in football attendance because they're never going to be interesting. When we come back, which coach in the uh, NFL? First-year coach will have the largest impact on their team. Which team will be the most improved this year? Solely because of the new coach they brought in. We'll get to that next. Tomorrow Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke.
5: Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it.
0: On the Morrow Midday Show.
2: Coming up, which first-year head coach in the NFL will have the largest impact on their team? We'll get to that on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. You know, that Talking Heads song coming back last segment reminds me of Crazy Stupid Love all the time with uh, Steve Carell when he's mowing the lawn. And then that song right there always reminds me of Hall Pass, which is another great movie. Speaking of movies, I went and I saw the new Top Gun last week. Whoa! Did you really? Yeah, saw it in theaters.
1: So, oh, so you went and did, was it IMAX or was it no, a normal theater? No, okay. right normal. Okay. How was it?
2: It was actually good. Really? So, it came out on streaming Sunday. Did it really? Yeah. So, uh, on uh, I think Paramount Plus. Ah. So, if you have Paramount Plus, you can watch the new Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick, at home. It's still in theaters because that's how well it's uh, how well it's done. I know two people that work in media covering college football. One has seen it seven times. Another person <laughs> has seen it in theaters twelve times. When I went, tickets were $11. Who's spending right? You're going 12 times. You're spending plus on concessions. You're dropping like 300 bucks just to continually see Top Gun in theaters. I don't get it. But it was while I was home. My mother wanted to see it, and she wanted to see it in the theaters. So, of course, right, my mom wants to go. I love going to the movie theater, so I, I, will, I won't turn it down. And we went on, I think it was Thursday. Right? We could have watched it for free. We, we had Paramount+. Plus. We could have watched it on streaming three days later, but I said no. And I agree. She said, this is a movie you got to see in theaters. It's all about the theater experience. So I said, you're right. Let's go see it. It was really good, actually.
1: Uh, no wonder why it's done $600 million in the domestic <laughs> box office. I think it actually hit a billion uh, this past wow. weekend globally. It's one of 50 movies, I think, to hit a billion dollars in the box office. I mean, a salute to TC. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, well, so
2: when you see it in theaters, I'm sure it's not going to be this way when you stream it. The movie starts with Tom Cruise sitting down in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah. I've and th- heard about that. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> thanking you for coming and, like, you know. This was made for you. Thanks for coming to the theater. We did it like getting through the pandemic and all this nonsense. And it's not that long, fortunately. It's like a 45-second spiel, but it's so, like, it's just corny. And it uh, gives vibes like Tom Cruise and Top Gun just saved the movie industry. And, I mean, maybe they did. uh, The money they're making and people going to the theater see it 12 times.
1: That's what he said. Remember when they were filming and that video came out of him screaming at the set? He said, we're trying to save an industry (laughs)
3: here. We're trying to save
1: it.
2: I mean, come on. Settle down. But no, the for, for now, look, I, I was grading on a curve, because it's a sequel, and of the original from 35 years prior. Sure. So, I went in thinking, like, yeah, oh, this is going to be ridiculous. These movies never work. I saw um, Coming to America 2, when that came out about two years ago, 35 years after. It was horrendous. It was awful. Even, like, Zoolander 2 came out only, whatever, 15 years. It was terrible. Anchorman 2 was awful. All these sequels that they come out years later are terrible. So, I thought, this movie's going to be dumb. And it was actually... It was good. Now, I wouldn't give it like, uh, it's like a 97 on Rotten Tomatoes. People calling it the greatest movie all. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but it is a good movie. I wouldn't say it was bad. I enjoyed it. I would watch it again, and I would recommend it. It passed the test.
1: Top 20? Are you thinking, like in no, your hierarchy? No, no not top 20. It's,
2: it's nowhere near, near my list of top movies all the time. Okay, okay. It was just, it was a good movie.
1: You're a movie savant, so this yeah, is you know yeah. a stamp of approval here that you can go see it in theaters yes. because you and I were both you know a little skeptical yeah. about the movie because everybody was going to see yeah. it, so it kind of it's like betting everybody's going to see it. Right. You fade the other way, you don't see it, but uh, you you know you bit the bullet and it turned out to be pretty good.
2: I have an older cousin, right? She's a mother. She's in her 40s. She cried when she saw the movie. So oh, I geez. said, C- I mean, come on, what, what are we doing here? This is the type of reactions <laughs> we're getting from the new uh, Tom Cruise movie. That's why I said I can't just out of spite. I can't see this in theaters. This is ridiculous. But I'm actually glad I did. It was good. Now, here's my question. When I went, it was a small... There was only... We were like two of seven people in there. Okay. There was one person, though, that did... I've heard about this a lot with the showings at other theaters. Clapped at the end of the movie. Oh, stop. What do you think of those that go to a movie theater? They enjoy the experience so much that they clap... At the screen when the movie's over.
1: That's like clapping when the airplane lands. Yes. Like, once you you get into your destination, everybody's like, Woo! We made it! No, we don't need to do anything like that. And you don't need to clap at the end of the movie. I'm sorry, is the director here? Is Tom Cruise here? He might have been on the screen telling you thank you while you came to the movie, but he's not here. Who are you clapping for? I'd never have understood that. But, I mean... It's each his own, I guess. If you want to clap, you can clap, but I think it's very strange.
2: It is strange. I would never do it. But, yeah, I mean, if you enjoyed the experience that much, you want to clap, all right, go ahead. I'm not going to try to fight against your happiness. (laughs) Flight isn't as bad because, A, it means you got there safely, right? That's most important. And, B, at least, like, the staff and the pilots are actually on the plane. If Tom Cruise was, like, by the projector in the back and he could see that you're clapping, yeah, absolutely. That's one thing. But I like to think that when three o'clock rolls around and we sign off the air, a lot of people in the low country are driving around clapping at the radios.
1: I believe so. I think yeah. I mean I clap almost every yeah. single time we finish a show and I would assume people would be clapping after you get off the air because it is riveting sports <laughs> yeah, talk, day in and day out.
2: Just like at the end of Top Gun, people are clapping for themselves. <laughs> Same idea when the Morrow Midday show ends. Last thing on the movie experience. I don't want to put anybody on blast because I love my mother very much. <laughs> but I went to the theater twice last week. I went once with my brothers. We have a real, we love going to the movies, my brothers and I. We didn't really go to movies a lot growing up, so I think it was one of those, like the forbidden fruit. It was, such a, it was a special experience when we did get to go, which were usually only birthday parties. We didn't go to the theaters a lot. I don't know why. Uh, we go a lot now. So whenever my brothers and I get together and I'm back home, we always pick out a movie we want to go see. So we went to the movie theater, and whenever I go to a movie, I always like to get candy, I get an icy, I get popcorn. I, I, I spend more money at the concession stand than on the ticket. When I went with my mother last week, and again, not to throw anybody under the bus, we brought waters and we brought our own. We had this chocolate popcorn that was delicious. <laughs> but she packed the bag of chocolate popcorn, and there's nobody at these theaters that you walk right in. No one's right. checking. You don't have to hide it. So we went in with the waters and the and the popped uh, and the popcorn. Now, look, I had no issue with it, but my question: do you do you ever sneak candy, water, food into a theater or even a baseball basketball game, or are you always buying there? I think that's more—that's a mom thing, no doubt.
1: And shout out to uh, you know Miss Morrow, obviously. But uh, I think that's a mom thing. They want to bring snacks. They want to make sure everybody's hydrated, ready to go for the movie because it's a long movie. But I, I agree with you, Luke. I would much rather go buy the ticket and then buy the massive you know bucket of popcorn. Just you know, get my cholesterol through the roof rather <laughs> right. than having you know some organic chocolate popcorn and you know water to uh, watch a film. I, I need to pig out a little bit when I'm at the theater.
2: Yeah, that's part of the experience i got to get that icy. That's the only time I ever have uh, an icy is when I go to the theater. Everybody was giving LeBron James a hard time. People were calling him cheap because you may have saw he had a bag of almonds that he brought with him to the Summer League. I don't think that was a cheapness thing. I think that was more of a health thing. I'm sure they don't sell almonds at the concession stand at the Summer League. But people were saying, look at this billionaire. And I'm sure they were just joking. They weren't being serious. But the idea of, look at this billionaire bringing his own snacks. He doesn't want to pay at the Summer League game. I think it was more out of uh, being health conscious. But, hey, if LeBron can do it then I guess you, too, can pack your own little snacks to bring with you (laughs) to the movie theater. All right, we've used up most of the time talking about that. But quickly, let me get to this. Which coach is going to have the largest impact on their new team in the NFL just by simply being hired? If you run through the first-year head coaches, Chicago, I think that's a downgrade for reasons I've said throughout the offseason. I want an offensive coach for my young quarterback, not a first-time defensive coach. Denver, I think it's more about Russell Wilson, not Nathaniel Hackett. Houston, uh, I mean, what upgrade? Uh, Cully to Lovey Smith, uh, you're kind of like looking in a mirror there, uh, and they're not going to be any better. Las Vegas, John Gruden to Josh McDaniels, maybe, but they're both offensive coaches, and you brought in Devontae Adams. I don't know if it's going to be so much about Josh McDaniels this year as it will be just, hey, they were already a playoff team last year. Now you add Devontae Adams. McDaniels could have an impact, uh, especially if he's not getting trouble off the field like John Gruden but you're already stepping into a pretty good situation. Uh, There's not much more room to grow, I would say. Miami, Flores to McDaniel uh, could be. You go to an offensive coach with a young quarterback. That could be a big help. Minnesota, you go from a defensive coach to now a new school, you know, Sean McVay-type offensive coach. That, too, could have a big impact, especially on a Kirk Cousins. New Orleans, I think, is a drop-off. Sean Payton to Dennis Allen. The Giants could be intriguing. Joe Judge to Brian Dable, who tries to save Daniel Jones. And Tampa Bay, I think, is a drop-off. Arians to Todd Bowles. It's also kind of a lateral move because it seems like Tom Brady and Byron Leftwich run the show there anyways. I don't think Todd Bowles will really impact Tom Brady. But I wouldn't include that one. I would say the Giants are up there. Minnesota's up there. Miami's up there. But there's one I haven't mentioned yet because I think it's the answer, and I think it's Jacksonville. You go from Urban Meyer, who was a clown show and uh, couldn't even make it one full season, to Doug Peterson. Now, Doug Peterson... I don't think he's the greatest coach in the league, but he has won a Super Bowl, and at least he's an adult in the room. And I think that's the biggest thing for Trevor Lawrence. You have a young quarterback who's supposed to be like the next Peyton Manning. And last year, let's be honest, was a bit of a disaster for Trevor, but the entire organization. He did not play well. He was bottom three in starting quarterbacks a year ago. He has to be a lot better already. And I think Doug Peterson is a big help for Trevor Lawrence. And that's the most important player probably in Jaguars history. So I think this is a big move. To go from Urban, who's learning on the fly, has never done it before, was a disaster, to a guy who's played the position, has coached the position, has won a Super Bowl as a head coach, knows what it takes to win with young quarterbacks. I think Doug Peterson, simply by showing up, has the biggest impact on his team this year. Other teams, maybe more about the players, maybe they're already good teams, but I think Doug Peterson will have the biggest impact of any of the coaches hired for Jacksonville this year. Here was his quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. He went on The Herd this week on Fox Sports and was talking about, so far, his relationship with his new coach, Doug Peterson.
7: Kind of the way he looks at the game. Um, obviously, that, the experience he's had playing quarterback in the NFL, um, being a head coach, offensive coordinator, all those things, winning a Super Bowl as a player and a coach. You look at all that, and you know his resume speaks for itself. But then just seeing the way he carries himself, the way he treats people, I think the way he leads, I think we're similar, just our demeanors, our personality, um, doesn't get too high or too low. I think yeah. that's really important to have if you're going to be a really good head coach, especially in the NFL. Um, so I, it's been great getting to know him. I think he's done a great job just planning out our off season. You know, there was a lot of changes we needed to make, and I think he's made those. He's put together a great plan of progressing our team offensively and de- defensively. So now that we're ready, going into camp, um, I think he's done a great job. So I'm excited. And then not only him, just having Coach McCoy, Press Taylor, Jim Bob Cooter, um, all those guys to to pull from that have all that are all offensive minds that have called plays before, and um, seeing everybody work together and just being able to soak all that up has been awesome.
2: Trevor Lawrence talking about his new coaching staff that last part is important as well because. Not only was Urban Meyer inexperienced, his entire staff, well, he had a couple of experienced offensive coordinators, but the rest of the staff was pretty inexperienced as well. So not only do you get Doug Peterson, but you just get coaches that are more experienced. right? Like Charlie Strong was the assistant head coach for Urban Meyer. He had never coached in the NFL before. He was a college guy just like Urban. So I think the move to Doug Peterson has the biggest impact. Doug may not have the highest ceiling of all the coaches hired, but I think the gap between Urban Meyer and Doug Peterson at the NFL level, because Urban is one of the top three best college coaches we've had. But at the NFL level, the gap between Urban and Doug Peterson, I think, is larger than any of these other changes. The ceiling may be higher for a McDaniel, a O'Connor, a, uh, even a Josh McDaniels, um, even maybe maybe a Brian Dable. I don't know. but I think the gap is the largest. When you go from Urban Meyer to Doug Peterson, that's the largest upgrade that you can have just because of how low the floor was with Urban last year, and especially the young quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. We'll wrap up hour one next. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
5: Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers. Lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it.
0: On the Morrow Midday Show.
2: We're having a one of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Has, has uh, Gatier, has he officially become a one-hit wonder? This is I don't think he's had a song since this, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, wonder, yeah
2: he's a one-hit wonder. One wonder. Yeah. yeah. We're waiting for that follow-up. That came out like a decade ago. That's a great song. Hey, on Twitter, you can always get to us at Morrow Middays. Jeremiah's asked, if Urban is in your top three of college coaches, who are your other two? I think you got to go... If we're talking all time, and I threw out that number just kind of off the top of my head, but I do think I would probably put Urban third. And I think Nick Saban, I've always said Nick Saban to me is the greatest college football coach of all time. And then I'd probably put Bear Bryant number two. I think I'd go with two Alabama guys. Then I think I'd put uh, uh, Urban Meyer three if we're talking all time. I said that kind of uh, just off the top of my head, but if I actually sat down and think about it, I still think I would probably put Urban number three. I do think right. he's become a little bit of a punching bag of late, but he's a tremendous college football coach in terms of winning and losing. And he's done it at every program, and he did it right away. And he won a national championship at multiple programs and big-time conferences. I think Saban is number one all-time. And I guess you could put Bear Bryant, too. Maybe Urban three. Coming up, we'll talk golf with Jeremy Schilling. And later on this afternoon, we'll hear from Baker Mayfield. plus why quarterbacks, we were just talking about Trevor Lawrence, Speaking of quarterbacks, why uh, they only – not only are they so important to your team, but apparently to your health as well. We'll get to that later on. Hour 2, coming up next.
7: WTMZ 98.9 FM. WTMZ 910 AM and 94.7 FM. W234 CD. Dorchester Terrace. Brentwood. Charleston.
0: This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Guess
3: who's back, back, back. Back again. again, again Sadie's back, back, back. Tell a friend, friend, friend. Guess who's back, 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 guess who's back. Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Guess who's back?
2: second hour of the morrow midday show with luke morrow here on espn radio we'll talk some golf in just a moment as we always do this time each and every week with jeremy shilling get to that coming up plus tiger woods comments and i'll uh, relate it to clemson and what's going on in college football we'll do that a little bit later on but don't forget our summer golf tour continues in fact next week is the final week Summer's already ending how about that Next week, it's the Plantation Course at Edisto. So last opportunity, if you haven't been cashing in all summer long with our golf tour, you have one more chance. Monday at 8 a.m., foursomes will go on sale for the Plantation Course at Edisto for 98 dollars $98.90. Just head over to charlestonsportsradio.com. Monday morning, 8 a.m., charlestonsportsradio.com, and get your foursome. For our final week of the 2022 Summer Golf Tour. in the calendar, set your alarm. Last week, coming up Monday, 8 a.m., CharlestonSportsRadio.com. Be ready to go because the foursomes sell out in a matter of minutes. So you have to be there right away and take advantage of the deal while you still can. Otherwise, you're going to have to wait till next summer. It's been a quick 10 weeks. Next week's the final week. CharlestonSportsRadio.com, Monday morning, 8 a.m., get your foursome. Speaking of golf, we catch up with our resident golf expert at this time every week. He joins us every Wednesday. He's on Twitter at Jay Schill. He writes for PGA Magazine. He's Jeremy Schilling, and he's with us now. Jeremy, good afternoon. How are you?
8: I am well, Luke. Uh, did I hear right that Tiger and Clemson have something in common?
2: Uh, well, I'm going to try to make that case. So, yeah, we'll get to that coming okay, later Okay,
8: because because here's the thing, right? When, when the world went crazy when, when you left, Uh, and took vacation for one week. And, folks, we have a lot to get through. This will be very short. But when USC and UCLA bolted, this impacts Tiger's alma mater, Stanford. Yeah. um, Which is now in a very precarious place. And uh, so, Tiger, I I, I doubt he's listening from his hotel room, but I – It'll be very interesting to hear the analogy because we've never had the opportunity to see Stanford in a national title game against Clemson to, you know, to see his trash talk. So anyway, well, the big story, actually, um, I'll let you go first and then I'll loop it back and we'll make it all work.
2: All right. Sounds good. Yeah, we well, you know. Obviously, I was off last week, so it's been uh, two weeks now since we we last spoke. Um What has, uh, I guess let's start with uh, what has transpired in the time since uh, we've we last talked about what was going on in the golf world?
8: Okay, Trent. And Anderson, do we have the music? I have thirty seconds for this. J. T. Poston won the John Deere Classic in a wire to wire runaway. Xander Shoffley held off a slew of players, including Kurt Kitayama, who's, a, who's an interesting sleeper for this week, um, to win the uh, Scottish Open, first ever co-sanctioned event. The PGA Tour and DP World Tour uh, struck a strategic alliance, a an enhanced strategic alliance that will basically save... The DP World Tour, they were going to go with the uh, Saudi people. That's not going to happen. Potentially uh, uh, potentially would have gone to the Saudis. That's not going to happen. More money, better purses, pathways to the tour, and the top ten in the race to Dubai standings, which now is a new name, it will make it to the PGA Tour.
2: Nailed it. Was that everything? We got it all in?
8: I think we got it all in. How about that? Now, the kicker to this is what happened Sunday night. So, Sunday night, the the opposite field event of the PGA Tour is happening, which is the, the uh, Barbasol Championship in Kentucky. And sc- scoring was all over the place there, but it came down to two putts by Trey Molinax who's a Bama golfer who has gone through health hell and, and has rebounded, and Kevin Streelman... Who hasn't won in in eight years since he won the 2014 Travelers? Luke, if you attended that event, you might have a memory of that. If not, you may not.
2: No, I was not um, at that in one. No, Hartford. No, not that um, year.
8: So, okay, so Molinax makes this putt and gets this kick. Like he's he's kicking out his leg. It's it, it's like Payne Stewart asks, uh, 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 Stroman misses. And Trey Moulinac earns the 156th and final spot in the 150th open championship. So he has to find his passport, a hotel, a whole host of things. Golf Channel, shout out Brent Packer in the truck. Get the side-by-side of Bama winning the national title in golf in 14. And that same leg kick. And the same Trey Mullinax leg kick on 18 on Sunday, the PGA Tour social people picked up on it. Then they put a side-by-side, which is fantastic. Credit to all the guys in the truck there for being fast on that. And if you go to Justin Thomas' Twitter feed, you'll see two things. Not only the picture of him and Trey on the the Swoken Bridge yesterday, but if you scroll down further at 1130 at night, local time in Scotland, Justin Thomas still up to see one of his best friends and teammates, but also best friends, make it and and, uh, get his first PGA Tour win and a ticket to the Open. It's such a heartwarming story for someone who's gone through so much since he turned pro. He won two titles at Bama, 13 and 14, and uh, was JT's teammate in 13, and then was able to be the guy who, who made the clinching putt for the national title in 14.
2: And that leads us to the 150th Open Championship. Now, we'll get into all the, the ins and outs, but set the stage for us first. Just, uh, you know, like the expectation, what should we expect for this this weekend? Give us a little bit of a, a setup, an elevator pitch for this Open Championship this weekend.
8: Tiger called it the biggest Open Championship ever, and they've this is the 150th playing of it, and it goes back to the 1890s.
2: Hmm.
8: So just food for thought there. Yeah, yeah that's pretty good. Um, yeah, look, St. Andrews, the Rowan Ancient golf club, of St. Andrews, the old course, everybody knows it. the road hole at 17. You saw, um, if, if you watched the uh, celebration of champions on Monday, the Lion tiger took over the old course hotel. Um, That's the line, by the way. Rory tried to go further right, and he hit somebody's room. And there's actually warnings if you're staying in that hotel or the Jigger and Bar or any of the other establishments there to be wary of balls that could come wayward because the right side is the better line, the road hole, the road hole bunker, all that jazz. And then obviously 18. 18 is going to be very drivable this week. The fairways are firmer and faster than the greens. That is how dry this summer has been in Scotland. Let me repeat that. The fairways are faster than the greens. That never happens in any part of the world in golf. They have to keep the greens slow to keep them alive because of the chance of wind. The weather forecast over there is, who knows, right? It could change in five minutes. But right now, it seems like a relatively calm week, 10, 15, gust of 20, maybe some rain on Friday, maybe some sun over the weekend. I never know what to expect. It was supposed to be sunshine for the uh, celebration champions, and there wound up being uh, clouds. Like, you just never know. But I promise you that when peacock comes on the air at 1:30 a.m tonight, Eastern time 1030 uh, p.m Pacific, there will be some kind of aerial coverage from a plane or something. And it'll be peaceful and it will be what what we expect. Now, the subplot to this is the Saudis. Peter Dawson, uh, the former chairman of the RNA, heads up the official world Golf ranking. Uh, committee, board of directors, and confirm that Live Golf asked for application into the official world golf ranking. I said on this show, I believe it was this show, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, that I thought the most important, the, the most important decision is is what they decide. It's a fifty-four hole shotgun event, which I left out, by the way. Kepka went there had their first U.S. event in Portland, Oregon, whatever. Is there... Uh, will they get points? That's their tickets into majors. And Tiger, who is not on that board, strongly said no yesterday. Martin Slumbers, who is the, the chairman of the RNA, who's a part of that committee, has said no. We know how Jay Monahan from the PGA Tour and how Keith Pelley from the DT World Tour feel. So... Uh, If that's a no, then that doesn't impact things immediately. That impacts things more for 24-25. Then it comes down to Fred Ridley, and then what does Augusta National do? But major news on that front there. Um, You'll see all week USA Network, NBC over the weekend, mornings, and Peacock for your TV coverage. They've got a rail camera. uh, Luke and and, and Trent, you guys know – uh, from um, the NCAA tournament or a uh, camera on the baseline, which CBS now has yeah, like running same exact technology just in golf. So that's new. Um, they've got one of the highest top tracer shot tracking technologies ever built. Um, and here's a kicker for you. Dan Hicks has never been to St. Andrews until this week. So the guy calling the shots has never been there. Mike Tarico's the host, Shameless Plug. He was on my podcast last week. So search teeing it up. You'll see it there. Um Mike was fantastic. I I, I can't wait. I cannot wait for this.
2: Yeah, I could imagine so. So let's get down to the, the crux of it, the actual golf. Um let's start, I guess, with the positive. I mean, who are some names that you think can actually go out there and win this thing this weekend?
8: A guy named Tiger Woods. Really? I was wondering how long you were going to wait. So Tiger flies over, plays the J.P. McManus charity pro-am. Think of J.P. McManus like the biggest charitable guy in this country. I can't think of it, but one of you guys can think of it as I'm talking. This huge philanthropist plays this charity (laughs) pro-am. Ten of the top 11 players in the world which just shows you his power, right? He's in a cart. His game looks horrible, but it looks like he just needed more reps. Like he looked healthy. He just, he was not, he was not sharp. And I'm telling you that he then went to, uh, he then played golf with glory and he logged something 49 and nine. That's, Uh, 58 holes of practice since Saturday at the old course. He knows his next tournament is the father's son in December. (laughs) He ain't doing the FedEx Cup playoffs, Luke. He's laying it all out there. I really think Tiger can win. Justin Thomas has been talked about a lot. rory has been talked about since he never got the chance in 2015 being defending champion. Um, If you look at the boards, the uh, betting boards: Rory ten to one, Spieth eighteen to one, which is coming off of his re, uh, uh, recent success, including nearly winning last week. Xander, who won last week, eighteen to one, and now has won three consecutive starts: Hartford, the uh, JP McManus Pro Am, and the Scottish Open. Rom and JT at twenty to one. I'm telling you, Luke, I really think Tiger fifty to one and uh, 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 sorry, sixty to one. What I'm seeing the uh my pick sam burns is 50 to 1 but 60 to 1 is tiger that's where i i i think you're looking at a real hold on a second what do we have going on here this is something deal
2: yeah that's fascinating i mean that would be a lot of fun and a big story of course this weekend if that's the case if he's in contention coming down the home stretch on the flip side if those are some of the names and the guys that that you like this weekend or, or could have success the opposite end what who are some guys you'd stay away from here this weekend
8: if we don't – if, if uh, I, I assume we are not counting the uh, Mark Kalkovecchias of, of you know, the uh, World Tour just saying goodbye. This is this last Open Championship uh winner in 90-something or other. He's saying adios. So if we don't count them, Phil Mickelson's game has been in shambles. Brooks Kepka hasn't looked like himself. I know that's not like a really interesting take, Um but I, I just don't – where Kepka finds it yet. He seems to it every single major that he plays a guy like Brian Harmon, who's short and typically would not be a guy that I think has a, has a, has a chance this week. I think may get some looks uh, by people, um, but this is a place about experience. So anybody like him or Harmon or Siwoo Kim or Garrick Higo, and nothing personal to these people, they just need St. Andrews under their belt, and I don't know if those guys do. Stuart Sink, by the way, is is uh, kind of over the hill, in my view. Nothing personal to Stewart. Tony Finau is a high ball hitter, and as for guys who can contend, by the way, you look at Will Zalatoris, who shows up in every major. Right, missed the cut last week at the Scottish. I I don't know. He's twenty five to one. Um I don't like Patrick Cantley this week, and I also don't like Tony Finau High ball hitters for Cantley. Last week was his first time in contention in like years it felt like. I'm not a big fan of that. Um I do want to give you a super, super sleeper. And Trent and Anderson clip this audio because if I'm right, you may want to run it back next week. You ready, Luke? Oh, I'm ready. Nikolai Huygard. Oh, that was
2: my... You stole my pick.
8: 300 to 1 odds. He and his twin brother, Rasmus, won back-to-back on the European tour last year, I believe it was. Rasmus did not qualify. He's playing the um, uh, um, opposite of field event in the U.S. But Nikolai Huygard. I firmly believe may contend in this thing. Call me crazy. They were the first two from Denmark to ever win on the European tour. Don't call me crazy.
2: We'll see how it plays out this weekend. Sam Burns is the pick. We got a deep sleeper as well. He likes Tiger Woods this weekend. Our resident golf expert, Jeremy Schilling, on Twitter, at J Schill writes for PJ Magazine. I know you're excited for uh, uh, what's going to transpire here these next couple of days with uh, – with this major, the Open Championship, but uh, how? Before we let you go, as a Jets fan, how disappointed were you that Zach Wilson stole the headlines the week of the Open Championship?
8: Okay, uh, first of all, I think his twin brother Rasmus wins the uh, uh, opposite field uh, event on the PGA Tour, which is the uh, 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 excuse me, uh, Barracuda Championship. I will finally be able to say that event in like twenty twenty eight. Talking about what did zach wilson do i kept seeing headlines never clicked on any of them what happened
2: wow really you ignored the story yeah oh well go look it up for yourself it's fresh out of american pie it's a great tale about your
8: your team's quarterback. oh that story that story yeah, yeah. no no not headlines in my world i thought that we were talking about like you know how like Lamar Jackson bulked up, you know, and like, you know, Zach Wilson, you know, he apparently bulked up before camp and stuff. So that's where I thought you were going. I did not, I did see that. Yes. That's in a completely different world. Um, and, 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 and what's the Clemson Tiger thing, or is that a tease for the next uh, you know thing after the break?
2: Yeah. You're going to have to tune in to find out. What the tease is, it's, it's really just that the Clemson, their nickname is is the Tigers, and so is Tiger Woods. That's really it. That's all it is. <laughs> but that's how you leave the people on the edge of their seat. They wonder, wait, what's the connection? And then you, you let them down.
8: And so. this is where Trent <laughs> uh, sends me a text later. Teasers, man, you got to do them in radio. Jesus. Absolutely.
2: That's right. <laughs> Keep people leave, uh, leave you hanging.
8: That's right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Ha, um, have a great week and enjoy the 150th Open Championship. One five zero.
2: That's right. Looking forward to it. He's Jeremy Schilling. We'll break it down with him next week. Our resident golf expert on Twitter at J Schill. And uh, we'll pay off that tease when we come back. Tiger Woods spoke out about the golfers. Zach Wilson did bulk up, by the way. He just happened to do it with his uh, mother's best friend. <laughs> when we come back, uh, Tiger Woods with his comments on the latest in the golf world. It's the Morrow Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio.
0: Spend lunch with Luke.
5: Attention campers. Lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it.
0: On the Morrow Midday Show.
2: Coming up, Tiger Woods speaking out about Live Golf and everything going on in the golf world. We'll get to that on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, such as our conversation last segment with Jeremy Schilling, you can always find it on demand. Just search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcasts. And the podcasts are available online at charlestonsportsradio.com as well. Just click on our show page. Here was Tiger Woods yesterday in his press conference talking about the latest I believe these are the first comments we've gotten on Tiger with the Live Golf Tour and everything else going on. Here's what Tiger had to say about uh, the latest shape of uh, of the golf world
5: yesterday. These players are doing for you know, guaranteed money. Um, wh- what is the incentive to practice? What is the incentive to go out there and earn it in the dirt? Um, you're just getting paid a lot of money up front and playing a few events and, playing fifty four holes, they're trying to, you know, playing blaring music and have all these um atmospheres that are different. I, I just don't see how you know fifty four holes, I mean you know, I, I can understand fifty four holes is almost like a mandate when you get to the senior tour. The guys are a little bit older and a little more banged up. But you know, when you're at a young age and somebody's Kids, there really are kids, you know, who have gone from amateur golf in into that organization. Um, Seventy-two hole tests, you know, are, are part of it. I mean, we used to have thirty-six hole playoffs for major championships. You know, that's that's how it used to be. Um, Eighteen hole U.S. Open playoffs. You know, that's. Um, I just don't see how that that move is is positive in the in the long term. Tiger Woods yesterday with his
2: thoughts on Live Golf. Now I always say, and we could use this with Saban in the first hour, la, uh, last hour, the first hour of the show, first segment this afternoon with Saban's comments. That as I always say, listen to the message, not the messenger, because I think what Tiger is saying is probably true about the drive, and it's something I've wondered or worried about Live Golf. That when these guys are making millions, regardless what is the desire to go out there and actually play well but don't pay attention necessarily to the messenger who's the message coming from just listen to the message because tiger woods to lecture others about you know grabbing money of course tiger doesn't have to because he has more money than any golfer it'd be like if elon musk was giving you advice financially and talking about like ah oh, you shouldn't do that that's going to be ruin your credit yeah well i'm also not a billionaire right? you have to do some things to get by you don't want to hear advice from elon musk who's got all sorts of money that he doesn't have the same worries that you do financially just like golfers don't really, I'm sure, I imagine, I assume, don't really care to hear Tiger like lecturing them about like, oh, you shouldn't go chase that money. Well, it's easy to say when you're a billion-dollar athlete. You don't have to worry about it. Some of these guys, and look, Phil Mickelson shouldn't have to worry about money. Maybe he does because of his gambling. Some of the other guys are a little bit younger and are chasing that payday where you set yourself up for generational wealth and to work less moving forward and retire early. It's easy to, to say it if you're Tiger that, yeah, you don't have to worry about the money. But I think Tiger's right about the drive. It's what I've said with my concern. I think golf, through all of this, is becoming a lot like college sports in three areas. Number one, what we always loved about college sports, it almost became a cliche, but people would always say, right, in the NBA, they're, they're playing for money in college basketball. They're playing for the love of the game. And that they would play harder in college basketball. They leave it all on the line compared to the NBA, where it can become very monotonous throughout the regular season. Number two is this fear of guys just simply chasing money. I mean, that's clear in golf, and that's the fear in college sports, that people are just going to make decisions based off of where they get more money now with name, image, likeness, and the transfer portal. And then number three, the connection I see between golf and college sports, maybe specifically college football, is that by dividing these two tours and giving us two watered-down products, we're only going to care about the majors. We may have already been there, but we're certainly moving in that direction in golf. And I think that's just like college football where – you only care about the playoff and the teams that are fighting for a playoff spot. If you're a Gamecock fan, sure, you were all in on the Dukes-Mayo Bowl this past year. But otherwise, did you really care? Were you really, If you're uh, just a general SEC fan or an Alabama fan, are you really tuned in to South Carolina's final games to see how they finish up the season? And do you really care, like, oh, they're going to the Dukes-Mayo Bowl against UNC? No, all we really care about are the teams that are competing for a spot in the playoff and in the playoff games. Just like all we actually care about will be like this weekend the majors four events a year that's about it the other events you don't care about the live golf tour you don't care about the pga tour and they don't have the best golfers out there you're not interested but i do think tiger makes a good point it's just maybe not the best person to be delivering said point when if you're one of these other golfers that went to the live golf tour it's like yeah it's easy for him to say he's got billions of dollars he doesn't need to worry about it and tiger has turned down the live golf tour i also with that said though i'll also give tiger credit that i do think if Tiger was up and coming when this was all going on, I also don't think he would go to Live Golf Tour because, as you could hear from his answer there, he is—he does seem to be like an old-school, true-to-the-tour-and-the-sport kind of guy. Doesn't want to use a cart with his leg issues now because that kind of goes against the whole idea. right? He's just an old-school, for the love of the, the sport and the product, that I don't think he would ever be interested, even if he was just up and coming and didn't already have a billion dollars in the bank. I don't think he would go to Live Golf Tour. But I also think, for many, that message will ring hollow because, yeah, you're being lectured by a billionaire. You don't want financial advice. I mean, it may be good advice, but you don't want like Elon Musk lecturing you on what you do to get by day to so, day. Yeah, It's easy for you to say. You don't have these same worries that we do. Somebody's working paycheck to paycheck, and Elon's saying, like, "Oh, well, you probably shouldn't do that, and that's not good for your... Yeah, Well, you don't have the same worries. Somebody else is just trying to get by. Now, I had teased that, you know, I was trying to compare Tiger to Clemson. I think the fairer... Comparison is actually Rory with Clemson. Not necessarily Tiger, but Tiger, I think, fits the profile. In fact, I'll do both. I think Tiger is what the ACC hopes Clemson would do for them. There is no stronger person to deliver some sort of message in the golf world than Tiger Woods. And for the PGA Tour, they probably loved what they heard yesterday. For the ACC, with all this moving around in college football, I'm sure the ACC would love nothing more then Clemson to come out and give some sort of vote of confidence or some message of support that we are here to stay. We love the ACC. We're not going anywhere. This is a great conference, yada, yada, yada. And give some sort of, uh, you know, like when you ever have uh whenever you doubt something, and you need uh, that clarification or you need that maybe somebody needs constant reinforcement at work, somebody maybe is a little insecure, they need to be told that uh, you love them all the time, whatever it is. You always want to hear that message. And I'm sure the ACC would love to hear a message from Clemson that tries to prop them up instead of just working in silence and fearful that something else is going to come down the road. But I think Rory's also that guy. Rory's been really interesting, and in then he's gone back and forth. So on June 7th, Rory McIlroy said that uh, live series, the, the Live Golf Series is, quote, not something he wants to participate in. On June 22nd, He called out some of the PGA golfers going to uh, the Live Golf Tour. And then on July 7th, so so less than a week ago, he said, um, at the end of the day, it will all sort itself out. I think everybody needs to come together a little bit more. He wasn't as harsh against the Live Golf Tour. And he said something along the lines of, uh, it's not the Saudi money he's against, yada, yada, yada. And then he came out two days later to the same reporter and said there's no room in the golf world for Live Golf. And I think that was uh, somebody getting in his ear and saying, like, yeah, those comments he made the other day, probably, they're, you know, they're not going over great. Maybe it was even the PGA Tour saying, like, man, we could really use your support. And so two days later he offered out much stronger comments going against the Live Golf Tour after seemingly somewhat supported them last week. And he did it with the same reporter as well. And, you know, almost like a clarification. And so Rory maybe fits the profile better because he has been more outspoken against the guys that have gone to the Live Golf Tour. But the idea of You know, if you're the PGA Tour, you appreciate that Rory seems to have your back, and he's your your talking piece, and he's out there with a big name in the sport that's supporting you and trying to condemn the guys that shift to the Live Golf Tour. Just like the ACC would love Clemson. Who's more powerful in that conference than Clemson? Would love for them to come out, Dabo, uh, the new AD, the school whoever, somebody from Clemson, multiple people, put out a statement, something, that shows support of the ACC and says something along the lines of, we're not going anywhere, we don't like all this moving around, we're happy where we are, and then maybe you could breathe a little easier if you're the ACC. I'm sure Jay Monahan and crew have appreciated Tiger's comments and have appreciated Rory having their back throughout all this. Just like the ACC, I'm sure would appreciate somebody like Clemson stepping up and seemingly having their back in all this moving around and uncertainty in college football. When we come back, it's time for Trent's Takes. It's the more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday
0: Show on ESPN Radio.
2: It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, we'll celebrate National French Friday. And speaking of which, not only will we hear from Baker Mayfield, but quarterbacks are incredibly important to your uh, favorite football team, but also evidently to your health as well. We'll get to that later on. But we do it around this time each and every day. We find out what's on the mind of the show's producer, with Trent Stakes. What's on the mind of the Morrow
0: Midday Show producer?
1: Draft Luke Morrow. That's Taylor. right. It's time for
0: Trent's Takes.
1: The radio cowboy will be coming and he's coming soon, folks. i tell you what, it is a little strange doing Trent's Takes from inside the glass. It yeah. is a little weird. Now, before we get into any sporting topics here, Luke Morrow, I know I told you during the break, but did everyone see the photos from the world's strongest telescope that NASA put out? I believe it's called the James Webb Telescope. Did you see the photos? And how are you feeling about these photos, Luke Morrow? Because it is a new look. I believe these photos are from 100 billion years ago, which is unbelievable to think about. But we have it now. We have telescopes. No, they didn't show us any aliens or any UFOs, unfortunately. But we do have pictures of our great, you know, solar system and galaxies and everything like that so what'd you think about the james webb telescope
2: i don't really know what to think i saw these photos originally yesterday and just kind of skimmed through them because i didn't even know what they were and then right. we were just talking about it so i went to back to, to, to look at them again and i still don't know what i'm looking at so i don't they're they're <laughs> cool they're wild i have to dig into it more but the whole thing is kind of blowing my mind to think of how much is out there what could be out there but I, I, just everything about it about space is uh mind-boggling to me so Now you've thrown me for a little bit of a loop here just trying to think (laughs) about all this.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And, folks, just my overall messaging is we are not alone. After seeing these photos, there is no way we are alone. There was one picture, Luke, where it seemed like There was a million galaxies just in one photo. And yes, galaxies. I'm talking about solar systems here, folks. So it is very scary to think about our world and our, you know, planets and everything like that, space as a whole. But I'd I'd encourage the listeners to go look at those photos and uh, let us know what you think about them. Luke, I don't know if you saw, I believe it was on Monday. uh, ESPN didn't have a ton to talk about when it came to the uh, national shows. And they ran a story from uh, a Twitter account that I don't believe I can name on air, unfortunately, but it's a parody account, if you will, and they put out fake stories, fake quotes, and things of that nature. Well, ESPN didn't do their due diligence when looking at this report because they spent, I believe, three to four different shows, Luke Morrow, talking about John Morant allegedly saying that if Michael Jordan was in today's day and age in the NBA, he would just be another NBA player. Obviously, John Morant did not say those asinine things, because if we actually think about this, you can't compare eras, but if I was looking at the NBA as a whole, Michael Jordan would be, what, top two, not two in the NBA as of right now, as far as scoring ability goes. I know there's more athletes involved compared to the 80s and 90s, but he's the greatest player of all time, there's no doubt. But how about ESPN running for this for about four hours, and then having to issue an apology based on the fake story John Morant's a great player there's no doubt about it I don't think any young player in the NBA would say anything like that about Michael Jordan that's why when I first saw the report I immediately knew it was a parody because nobody would ever say anything about the greatest player to ever live that being Michael Jordan
2: yeah this is bad for the ESPN because you figure uh, this was on the TV side you have so many people working on these shows that yeah. somebody should be able to catch it this is from a fake account However, this is not in defense of ESPN. I hate these accounts. <laughs> I, the, whoever's running this account, I mean, go out and uh, touch the grass. I, do something. Yeah. I don't get the people that spend so much time just trying to deceive and trick people online with these fake reports. And this is even coming from, like, I've, I haven't fallen for one. We haven't done a topic on a show because of one of these fake quotes. I always triple check anything before I run with it. I just think it's dumb. I got, who has enough? To, who is that lonely that you sit around thinking, like, how can I fool everybody with some made up quote? <laughs> And they spend all day putting, and then they feel good like, hey, ESPN, We fooled the ESPN. I guess that's a feather in your cap. I just think the whole thing's like a sad existence. Go out there and do, go play a sport instead of making up <laughs> fake things about the athletes. I hate these fake accounts that try to pawn themselves off to be real just to try to fool you there's uh, a better use of your time in Twitter than this nonsense.
1: I've blocked two NBA uh, parody accounts so far because of Kevin Durant to Miami (laughs) news. It's been hoop central. And there's another one that I've blocked because I cannot take these reports about Kevin Durant is I in Miami, Kevin Durant. There's a, you know, a deal in place for Miami that all is coming out. And we do have a Zach Wilson update, everybody. I would like to uh, put this out there. Zach Wilson, as of 10, 15 minutes ago, just posted this via his Instagram. He said, took the boys to Gozer Ranch Club in Idaho before camp. Poor cell service. What did I miss? Unbelievable move by Zach Wilson. He's already got 5,000 comments on the post. A bunch of his teammates are, uh, you know, um, commenting the goat emoji and everything like that. Zach Wilson is the most liked guy in the NFL right now. He should feel pretty good about himself. What a post after the last couple days. Unbelievable.
2: Yeah, that's that's a good one. He also still has not issued any sort of denial right so he's he i I think we can run with the fact that this probably did happen but that is a, a funny way to after a few days of silence to address the matter in a comical way on social media
1: yeah, no. And his mom didn't even deny. It. That was the thing. She went on and said, "Stop, you know, calling my friends, messaging my friends about who is the person." But she never said, "This is not true." I was looking for that in the you no know, posts. Like she, I feel like if it wasn't true, she would immediately come right. out and say, "This isn't true. These are all rumors. Things of that nature." But she just said to stop calling her friends. Unbelievable move by Miss Wilson. And Zach Wilson is turning into one of my favorite NFL players. That's right now, Luke Mar.
2: People think they figured out who the Woman was did really you yeah no I haven't. I think the New York Post even like published a photo.
1: Oh, this is awesome! I ha- I haven't you know kept track of that uh, the uh, investigative reporting when it comes to who it is, but we're gonna have to figure that out because both of the both these folks are an absolute legend. Uh, Luke Morrow. 57 days until the NFL football season. It is around the corner, and I want to look at the MVP odds really quickly, but not the favorites. I want to know from you, Luke. I'll give you mine, and then I would like to hear yours. Out of these three guys, who has the best shot this season to win the NFL MVP? Is it Joe Burrow at plus 1,200? Is it Kyler Murray at plus 2,000, or is it Lamar Jackson at plus 2,000? And now let me tell you why I think out of these three guys, Lamar Jackson will be it. This is scorched earth Lamar Jackson. All offseason, some people have been saying he should get paid. A lot of people said he should not get paid. He loses his top receiver in Marquise Brown, still has Mark Andrews. He's coming back with vengeance. We've seen pictures from him training. He looks like he put on about 15 to 20 pounds of muscle, still the same speed. By the way, I think Lamar has a massive year and potentially wins his second NFL MVP this coming season.
2: Luke Morrow. I like the logic. I was going to say Joe Burrow, then you mentioned Lamar, and I thought that's intriguing because right. for those, those reasons you laid out, Burrow I think is the obvious one. Burrow also has the least amount to prove. He just made it to a Super Bowl. Kyler Murray even has more to prove in Arizona, and then of course Lamar Jackson. Look, Aaron Judge is in a contract year in Major League Baseball, and he's putting together an MVP season. A lot of times you see guys that when they're playing for money. Uh, they're going to be fired up. It's why some Panther fans are excited about Baker Mayfield. He has to play for his next job as well. You get that extra motivation that can really carry a guy. And for Lamar, obviously, what he can do with his arm and his legs, he can compile stats. He's won the award before. At those at that number, those odds, I probably would rather just take my chances with Lamar. But, of course, it's why he's the favorite out of those three. I think Joe Burrow is probably the safest play. But Lamar is very intriguing because, as you said, uh, he's, he's playing for his next contract. He's going to be fired up. And uh, if the Ravens are healthy... They should be a good team this year.
1: Yeah, and they have a good defense, so, you know, he doesn't need to score as many points. He's not going to get into shootouts with people. He doesn't need to put up 35, 42 points. He just needs to be the 2019 Lamar that we saw who led the league in touchdown passes and rushing touchdowns. Unbelievable. I think Lamar's got a big shot of uh, being the MVP this year. We talked a-, a lot last week when Baker Mayfield did get signed to the Panthers that this is also scorched-earth Baker Mayfield. He is mad, he is upset, he wants to get paid once again. And there is no way, because yesterday GM Scott Fitterer came out and said that is an open competition, obviously, between Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. But folks, let's not be fooled. Do not be fooled by these claims. Baker Mayfield will be the starter week one against the Cleveland Browns. There is no da- Why would anybody think that... Sam Darnold would start the game especially against the Cleveland Browns there's no doubt and Baker Mayfield's just the better quarterback at the end of the day Luke I know you're not a huge Baker Mayfield guy and you call me a big Baker Mayfield guy I am I think he's going to do great for the Carolina Panthers but this is not a competition Baker Mayfield's going to get tight with the receivers very quickly he's a smart guy he's going to learn the offense bada bing bada boom he's the starter week one and I think he has a great season DJ Moore might have his best season yet
2: who has a better chance of playing in that week one game, Baker Mayfield or Deshaun Watson?
1: Oh, Baker Mayfield, 10 times out of 10. But even even though we're hearing mixed reports yeah. from Deshaun Watson, like he might not be suspended at all. He might be suspended four games a year. Still crazy to me that people are talking about a four to six game suspension for a man who had 24 civil lawsuits for sexual misconduct against him when Calvin Ridley bet $1,000 uh, on football games while he was hurt for a year and is suspended for an entire season. That is unbelievable. And I can't even comprehend why the NFL would do so. I really can't. That that baffles me more than anything. And I know Roger Goodell was trying to make a statement here yeah. with Calvin Ridley. You don't think you might want to make a statement with uh, with Deshaun Watson after everything we've heard and seen? There's still four cases that have you know not been settled yet that are still out there. So I mean, good luck. Good yeah. luck is all I got to say.
2: Don't worry. Only four cases. That's only. A, that's yeah. A, exactly. Only four. There was an interesting piece while we're on that uh, subject of, uh, um, well, Awful Announcing did a piece on another piece that was written, I think, originally by the Washington Post, but about Adam Schefter, and uh, it was interesting. Schefter sends gifts to his sources. He said he spent one year, he spent, I think it was $16,000 on chocolate to send to his sources, and uh, all I say, I didn't read the whole thing. I skimmed the bullet points on AwfulAnnouncing.com, which is a good site, and uh, hopefully I never make it on there. But um, <laughs> it was interesting, and it didn't put Schefter in the best light. And some of his coworkers, who wouldn't go on the record, unfortunately, I think that's a little bit of a, you know a cowardly move. But some of his coworkers, you know, had some strong words against Schefter as well. He has had a little bit of a fall. He, look, he just got a big contract. Everyone's still he's the number one guy, but he's had a little bit of a fall from grace in the past twelve months because of uh, how close he is or how dependent he is on agents. And I think somebody like Josina Anderson, same idea with that tweet the other day about Deshaun. And a lot of this reporting, too. You have to consider where these reporters get their information and who they're trying to keep happy and uh, that has been exposed a little bit more in the past year about these guys like Adam Schefter who steps in it because he's just trying to do the agent's work for him.
1: Schefter had that tweet about Haskins when he passed away yeah. that uh, that probably changed everything about Adam Schefter in the light that he uh, you know is perceived in. They also, the article they called him short, so you know, and that was at the that was at the start of the article. They said he's a lot shorter than uh, he appears on TV, but he's got broad shoulders. I think that's what they said in the article. So. Yeah, they were. It was kind of like a hit piece on yeah, Adam that, Schefter.
2: That part's a little strange. I don't know why you need to mention that. Hey, I mentioned I saw Top Gun earlier. We know Tom Cruise is pretty a pretty short guy, but they make him look really big. I'll say, though, in this movie, when he stands next to, I think it's Miles Teller. And he's a tall guy. I guess so, because he was towering. They didn't do a, a great job, or they just didn't care enough to try to disguise it. Tom Cruise looked kind of short in this movie, especially uh, next to Miles Teller.
1: Miles Teller's only six feet tall, which oh, wow. only. I mean, that's, you know, that's above average, yeah. but he's only six feet tall.
2: Yeah, because uh, usually they make Cruz and like Adam, uh, uh, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger was the same way. He's like five five. Right? They make him look so monstrous with camera angles and all sorts of things. Uh, not so much in this movie.
1: They say he's uh, Tom Cruise is five seven. I don't buy it. That's a five five guy if I've ever yeah. seen one.
2: Yeah, he wears his lifts around. That's why he's five seven. <laughs> we'll wrap up hour two when we come back. More midday show on ESPN Radio.
1: Now back to the
0: Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
2: It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio as we wrap up Hour 2. Hey, Mets-Braves playing right now. Coming up next hour, we'll get to um, – it's not in Major League Baseball yet. They're testing it out in the minors, but more changes coming from Rob Manfred, specifically with the shift, and it's something that I can't really stand. But in the meantime, the Braves-Mets playing their finale here this afternoon. The Mets lead right now 4 nothing in the fifth inning. Uh, it would be nice just to win the series. You don't want to lose ground. And, again, it's still July. We're not even at the all-star break. There's plenty of games left. These two teams are going to play one another a dozen more times here over the next two months. But it would be nice if you at least gained low little ground instead of losing ground. You don't have to sweep the series. Can you win two out of three? Took a comeback yesterday to win a slight comeback. little offensive uh, fireworks against uh, the bullpen late. We'll see what they could do today down 4 nothing in the fifth inning charlie morton not pitching all that great but the mets could be on their way to taking the series still of course so early in the year but when you face the team that's directly ahead of you you'd like to try to take advantage of that opportunity to gain some ground instead of losing we'll see what the braves do the rest of the way this afternoon when we come back we'll hear from baker mayfield plus quarterbacks why they're important for your health evidently and we have to talk about national french fry day Hour three next it's The more midday show on espn radio
7: WTMZ, 98.9 FM, WTMZ, 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234
0: CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But
3: wait, there's more.
0: On ESPN Radio. Yes,
3: back, 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 back again. again, again. back, 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 tell a friend back? back? back?
2: back? back? Final hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, we'll hear from Baker Mayfield plus... Talk about National French Fry Day. ESPN.com put out their list of the top wide receivers in the NFL. We'll see how Trent's list yesterday compares to the executives list that came out today. And also Major League Baseball, they're testing out something in the minors starting the second half of this baseball season, and I'm not a fan of it either. We'll get to that coming up. Plenty more to do in this final hour. If you ever missed anything from the show, you can always find it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast and the podcasts are available online at com. just click on our show page and find the show's podcasted there you can also leave a comment for the show while you're there charlestonsportsradio.com. just click on our show page leave a comment there get to us on twitter at moro middays through the text line 8436081734 or you can always join the conversation on the phones as well 8437219500 Baker Mayfield, of course, is the uh, new quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. And he was introduced yesterday. He actually he cut his vacation short. Had to come back from the Bahamas to do his physical and to be introduced and everything. It's what I always say about these things, right? Like politicians, and this wasn't necessarily intentional by Baker, but politicians always schedule their vacations longer than they planned so then they can say, hey, I came back early for my vacation for this uh baker mayfield came back early so he could join the panthers took a pay cut came back from vacation he's ready to go with his new team he had his press conference yesterday while we're on air here are uh, a few clips from him and then one from his gm scott fitterer as well but here was baker yesterday talking about the transition going from the cleveland browns to now the carolina panthers here's what baker said
9: if i'm focused on the past then i'm not doing my job and you know being a carolina panther now so i'm like i said i'm grateful for my time there Uh, Yeah, shocked. I'd say it was, you know, pretty much the only way to describe it. But you roll with the punches and you got to move forward. You know, this is a a test of adversity and how I'm going to handle it and how I can move forward and be the best teammate
2: possible with with our new home. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Baker yesterday talking about, you know, he took the high road. I actually thought Baker, just in general, nailed the press conference yesterday. I think a lot of people were waiting for him to put his foot in his mouth or give a, a juicy quote that you can run with a headline. He was very professional, mature, adult-like. He was exactly what you wanted out of your new quarterback. He didn't take the bait, didn't take any shots at Cleveland, took the high road. He complimented them, said, you know, on to my new team. Just like in this response when he was asked about his uh, relationship with Sam Darnold, right? Sam Darnold was the starter. Now you bring in Baker. The two of them are in that quarterback room. Here's what Baker said yesterday about his relationship with Sam Darnold.
9: Sam and I, we've known each other for a few years now. Uh, Great guy and just – you know, welcome me in. Had had tips uh, where to start looking for houses and and all that. Just no, he, he Sam's a great guy, and uh, looking forward to being in that that locker room and that quarterback room with him and competing and, and challenging each other. And uh, it's it's going to be special. You know, I think we're going <clears> to <throat> we're help each other out quite a bit. And uh, no, not, not shocked at all. That's just who he is. Great guy. I mean, you you can write whatever story you want about him, but he, he's a good guy that wants to help his team win and, and loves football.
2: Here was Panthers GM yesterday, Scott Fitterer, talking about, uh, talking about Baker in that quarterback room because this is um, something that was alluded to last hour about the idea of there is going to be a battle between these two. Here was Scott Fitterer on his quarterback room now with the Panthers.
6: This is open competition. You know The reason why we added Baker was that to make the group better as a whole. Our whole philosophy is to add competition, not just in the quarterback room but every position. So if we see an opportunity where we can get better, where we can add a player, it makes sense for us as a team, makes sense for us financially, makes sense for us for, uh, just from a, an addition standpoint, we're going to do that. And, uh, you know, with Baker being out there, uh, having the conversations, it made sense for us.
2: Fitterer yesterday, I don't buy it. I think that's uh, what you sell through those other guys because competition's good. You don't want Darnold to just quit on the team or himself, by saying, like, yeah, we brought in Baker. He's going to be the starter week one. You want to leave it open-ended so everybody's working hard, even Matt Corral right? Just continues to grind. But I don't think you go out and make this move just to increase the competition or to have a good backup. You go out and you get Baker because he's going to be your guy. You already saw what Sam Darnold brought to the table last year. If you were satisfied, you wouldn't go out and make a move. You wouldn't be snooping around. You wouldn't be trying to get Deshaun Watson. They were always looking to upgrade the quarterback position. They drafted a quarterback. So you know they're not comfortable with Sam Darnold. And when you make the move, the new guy that comes in, he is the guy. And that's going to be Baker Mayfield. So I think Scott Fitterer, uh, that's a little bit of coach speak from the GM, just because you want these guys to compete. I agree with him that competition is always good. It's what I've always said. I would always be uh, bringing guys in just to to keep my my starters on their toes, to make sure that they're not content and they're always working hard. But realistically, I don't think this is much of a competition unless – we get to training camp, we get to preseason, and Darnold really wows the Panthers, and he looks a lot better than Baker, right? I, I think Darnold can still win the job, but I think it's Baker's job right now to lose. Baker comes in as the uh, the starter, and if he's horrendous the next couple months and Sam Darnold looks a lot better and in the preseason games and practice, then, yeah, absolutely, you got to put the better guy out there. But I don't think the idea is just like, all right, it's a right, comp- let's see who the better man is. I think the hope is that Baker is going to look better than Darnold, and then you ride with Baker week one and throughout the season. We'll get to the fourth clip in just a moment from Baker Mayfield, the final clip of what he said yesterday. But I thought Baker, uh, overall, like I said, I thought he nailed the press conference. Um, He was uh, exactly what you want out of your quarterback. He wasn't, you know, people have this uh, conception about Baker, and rightfully so, but it's not how he always is. He's not always like spouting out in the mouth and taking shots at people. He has done that at times, but he can also be a mature, reasonable quarterback doing a good press conference as he did yesterday. And a couple of things could be at play. Number one, of course, maybe he was just simply humbled by the experience with the Browns. You come in as the number one pick. You, know, you get a lot of money. You're the starter right away, uh, or pretty much right away. And then, you know, you're out of a job now. Four years later, they dump you for Deshaun, and nobody else seems to want you. And here come the Panthers, and you have to take a pay cut. And the Panthers are saying it is a competition that can humble you. And maybe that's the case for Baker. Maybe he's not going to be as brash. Scott Fitterer said yesterday, we've talked to Baker about that fine line between, you know, being confident, being cocky, and then maybe being a little too arrogant. And I think for Baker, you certainly have to toe that line. You want your guy to be confident. but you don't want him to be maybe too brash. But on the flip side of things uh, as well, Baker has always been his best when he's had the, um, the cards stacked against him, which reminds me of the great uh, Michael Scott quote in the driveway with Pam for The Ma- Michael Scott Paper Company, where, uh, like, his math teacher or somebody said he was going to fail class, and then he went out and scored more goals than anybody in hockey, like one relates to the other. But that was his story to Pam. They were going to tell him, like, he was, uh, he was doing bad in class, and then he went out and played great in hockey. Uh, and as he says, I do my best when people doubt me. Baker is similar. And Baker, he paid Johnny Hecker, the punter of the Panthers, to get number six, which is what the number he's always worn because that was the number given to him when he walked on in college. He's always had that chip on his shoulder. And when he was doubted as a walk-on, he went on to win the Heisman. Then he was drafted first overall, and for the first time, it's kind of hard to humble yourself or even to have that chip on your shoulder to have the me against the world when you're the number one pick in the draft. They're paying you millions. And you get the Browns to the playoffs for the first time in a number of years in your third season. But then again, right, then things go a little bit rough the past 12 months. You're out of a job. It puts that chip on your shoulder once again. And we've seen a lot of guys, when they're humbled, like maybe Baker was, they come back even better. Bill Belichick was humbled also by that same Browns organization. Worked out pretty well in New England. Nick Saban was humbled by the Dolphins in the NFL. Saban probably thought he was on top of the world. Didn't work out in the NFL. Then what transpired, he went to Alabama and was an even better, or is an even better college coach than he was at LSU and Michigan State, and he was winning a national championship at LSU. He's even better now. Tom Brady, you could say, was humbled. I mean, he named one of his companies after it, being drafted 199th. Peyton Manning was the first overall pick. And then kind of like Baker that first year, he was horrendous. They won three games. He led the league in interceptions. And you realize, like, oh, maybe I don't have everything figured out. Maybe I don't have all the answers. Michael Jordan, of course, we know the story. right? He he got cut in high school, put a chip on his shoulder. He referenced it in his Hall of Fame speech. So these guys, these humbling experiences that put chips on the shoulders of uh, the all-time greats in the sports world, and I'm not saying Baker's going to be the next Tom Brady, but here's a moment where, A, he was humbled, uh, but, B, it puts that chip back on the shoulder, and we've seen Baker do his best work when he is being doubted. But when he was the number one pick, and he was put in as the starter at Cleveland, and there really wasn't much of a competition, that's when he was at his worst. But when he was a walk-on and he didn't think he belonged, and, you know, even uh, you're talking about the job he's doing, uh, should he be a starter? Now, nobody really being interested other than the Panthers, That's when Baker's been at his best. Maybe that'll be the case this year for him with the Panthers. Takes us to the final clip from yesterday. This actually, because this is where my mind always goes, this stood out most to me. Forget his uh, answers about the Browns or Sam Darnold or his new team. When you talk about fast food, that's uh, when my ears perk up. Here's what Baker said yesterday about coming to the Carolinas now as a member of the, the Panthers.
9: My first meal of Bojangles. I, I haven't had that yet, but I've been told that I need to do that as soon as possible. So I'll probably probably wait a little bit. It's not exactly on the training camp diet, but uh, I'm looking forward to it.
2: Bojangles. That's what he's looking forward to. That's got to be. He's never had Bojangles before. That's the meal he's looking forward to. I've had Bojangles only a couple times. Not a huge Bojangles guy. Whoa. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. Not big. I would say the number one thing which I did not have growing up, or even in, when I lived in Florida, that I've experienced here, cookout. Cookout is the place that I would want to go if, uh, if I was just moving to the Carolinas or if I had a friend coming and they said, like, what's the local place I have to eat? I know it's a chain, but you got to go to Cookout. I would say cookout over Bojangles.
1: Whoa. I think that that's a hot take. It especially especially in the oh. South. Yeah, I think cookout might be uh, more of a North Carolina thing because mm. we, we didn't have it down here until I was in high school. So you yeah, know it took so. a couple of years and then we got a cookout in Mount Pleasant and you could never go past eleven o'clock because the, the line was oh, out yeah. I mean, out the door, the drive through line was insane. But I tell you what, Luke Barrow, there is nothing. Nothing. Like a Cajun fillet biscuit from Bojangles when you're about to go on a road trip, it is unbelievable, unbelievable.
2: Mm. I'm not all that big. I love cookout, not that big on Bojangles.
1: What's your cookout order? Because you know you get do you get a tray?
2: Uh, I mean, we only have 50 minutes left in the show. <laughs> right? Yeah, I do the tray. I do. a will do a, a burger, maybe like a double, whatever uh, burger, and then I do. Um, I'll do probably. I always got to get. I love French fries on today's National French Fry Day. Oh yeah. And then I'll do some chicken nuggets, probably. And then I'll also get, like, a couple of quesadillas on the side, maybe even a corn dog, <laughs> whatever else they got <laughs> that I'm feeling.
1: It's all $8. You can get That's a milkshake. The be- that is the best part. Yeah, you get a tray. You get a double bacon cheeseburger with quesadillas and corn dogs and a milkshake for 8 bucks. Oh,
2: it's fantastic. That's what fast food's supposed to be, <laughs> right? It's cheap, and uh, usually it's pretty cool. Qu- I mean, there's always a long line, but they get you in and out. Love cookout. Bojangles, I've only had it a few times, but eh, not the biggest fan. Now, that takes me to this. New York Post uh, had this story about, um, they did a study. The number one fast food restaurant in the country, they did a poll, and they asked people about their satisfaction at each each place. The number one place scored an 83 on the grade, you know, scale 1 to 100. And that's the best we could do for these fast food places, a B-minus essentially. Trent, I'll put you on the spot. What would you guess is the number one fast food restaurant in the country as voted on by X number of Americans?
1: It's got to be, mm, this is tough, but I would have to think just based off of service alone, it would have to be Chick-fil-A. Wow, is it Chick-fil-A? you nailed it. Okay, Chick-fil-A. yeah, Chick-fil-A. It, I mean, Chick-fil-A is their one. They're on every street corner, and you get hit with my pleasures, even though I haven't been hit with my pleasure in quite some time. I don't know what's going on with the management over in the one uh, near the uh, the orifice here, but I would, yeah, Chick-fil-A is, is the king of kings. I don't think it's the best food, fast food, but it definitely everybody goes, you're on a road trip, Luke, and you see the Chick-fil-A, and you're hungry, you're going to pull in. There's no doubt about it.
2: They are number one for the eighth straight year, Chick-fil-A. Oh, crazy. The survey found that American satisfaction with fast food restaurants has decreased by 3% in the last year. Overall, uh, the category uh, has a score of 76. Mm. So just general experience at a fast food restaurant, Americans say that they're they're pleased only 76% of the time. That's probably not great. Uh, full-service restaurants got a score of an 80, so that's better, but I don't know. I mean, you've got to probably be in the 90s. Um, Chick-fil-A was number one, Jimmy John's number two, Ooh, and then you have Domino's, KFC, then Chipotle, Panera, Pizza Hut, Starbucks, Mm. those scored at 77s, then you have Arby's, Five Guys, Papa John's, Burger King, Little Caesars, Panda Express, Subway.
1: Mm. I've I haven't had a Panda Express meal in quite some time.
2: I do like Panda Express. Oh, yeah. It's not great Chinese food, uh, but I just—I don't know. There's something about it.
1: You don't have to eat for eight hours after yeah. you eat one.
2: That's another good one, like cookout. You get a bunch of food for a good price. They stock you up. Uh, then you get to Dairy Queen, Dunkin' Donuts, and Sonic. Then you get Jack in the Box, Taco Bell, Popeyes. The fast food chain with the lowest score, 68% was McDonald's. Wow. McDonald's did the worst in this poll. That dang ice
1: cream machine. That's true. <laughs> Unbelievable. Never
2: working. And, by the way, the fast food chain that suffered the biggest drop-off, Dunkin' Donuts. Mm. They dropped 4% from last year to this year in the poll of satisfied customers. Uh, the survey, by the way, was over 20,000 people, so a pretty big uh, sample size here.
1: Surprising for Dunkin' Donuts.
2: Yeah. I'll tell you what. I ranted. Back when I remember Blake was producing the show at the time, when he was with it, I ranted about Dunkin' Donuts at the time going back a year ago, maybe more, because uh, <laughs> because Dunkin' Donuts was so disappointing. They had the inside clothes. There was only one person. The drive through line was long. The pandemic, obviously, since then, that has screwed up everything in these fast food restaurants. But Dunkin' Donuts, the one down the street, a little disappointing.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I, I would take Dunkin' Coffee, and this might be a hot take, Dunkin' Coffee over Starbucks Coffee
2: all day long. I'll take your word for it. I'm not a coffee drinker. Ah, it's true. I don't like Starbucks. Gives off that whole, you know, kind of stuck-up hipster vibe. <laughs> I'm I'm a simple man. I go with Dunkin' Donuts. Get a coconut donut, and I'm good to go.
1: The hipsters now they go to the local coffee shops. That's they true. don't they don't support Starbucks anymore. Spo- support local biz.
2: That's true. That's fair. Did Bobby weigh in on Cookout?
1: Yeah, Bobby sent us a very uh, harsh text message that just says Cookout is disgusting. Yeah. So there you go.
2: Okay, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Coming from the same guy that, uh, oh, what's that place he loves?
1: He's a big White Castle guy, I believe. No, I he likes the
2: knockoff, Crystal.
1: Crystal Burger, that's it. He's a it. big yeah. Crystal
2: guy. Ah, oh, Crystal's disgusting. <laughs> Get that out of here. Cookout is so much better. And White Castle's better as well. <laughs> hey, today's National French Fry Day. Now, these national days, you can just make them up as you go. So why didn't they make a National French Fry Day on a Friday? Mm. National French Fry Day. Get it, huh? Come on, Look at that. yeah,
1: he'll be here all week, folks. Seriously,
2: put me in Mad Men. I'm um, <laughs> John Hamm over here, Don Draper, whatever his name was, coming up with great ideas. But instead, it's uh, it's a, it's today. Now I know certain places are doing um, different deals. I love French fries. I've always said t- two things about French fries. Number one, if I was ever in the eating competition, I would go with French fries. And number two, it's my kryptonite. Uh, I've been eating better over the past year and a half and uh, dropped the weight I put on during the pandemic, but still. The one thing that I can't avoid is still French fries, and everywhere you go, everyone offers French. It's the number one side. There's nothing. You know, every restaurant you go to, French fries is the thing. We have to come up with better sides, but I love French fries. Now, when you talk about best French fries, McDonald's may be last on the satisfactory survey. I think no one is topping McDonald's French fries.
1: Not even close. Yeah, it's not. It's not a competition. Not a competition.
2: They are the best. I also love and we all we've talked french fries before in the show and we talk fast food I love a good crinkle fry. By the way, Culver's has the crinkle fries; those are delicious. Oh,
1: you're a crinkle fry. I uh,
2: love a good crinkle fry. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you; I love every variety of the fries. There's <laughs> not potatoes. a fry. Oh yeah, I love the Chick-fil-A. The yeah, the uh, waffle fries. And that's
1: and people don't really like the waffle fries. Really, I think like yeah, that's oh. something where people get upset because Chick-fil-A, and some people don't go to Chick-fil-A just oh. because they don't. Uh, you have regular fries. I don't mind the waffle fries a little it's bit extra
2: the, potato. It's the best part about Chick-fil-A. Let me tell you, it's not even about the chicken. Uh, I love the curly fries at Arby's. Fantastic. And I'm trying to think. Uh, that's what, four? If I give you a top five, if I round it out with a fifth one. That's a tough question. You know, I'll go five, guys, because not necessarily quality, but quantity. They oh. just dump the fries in there. They're all, they grease up the bag. I'll go five, guys, for my top five best French fries around, all for a different reason. But five, guys, it's the best because they give you a half a bag full of, a full of French fries. <laughs> you can't beat it. And we used to have a five guys down the street, and then they closed it a couple of years ago. I was very disappointed. And then there's all sorts of different types. So you get the uh, like steak fries, different potato wedges. I've had. Um, I have to make sure I get the name right on the radio. Is it poutine in Canada? Oh yeah, poutine. That's good stuff.
1: Oh yeah, no doubt. Now, now uh, what about sweet potato fries?
2: No, that's where I draw the line. Okay, got it. Uh, sweet. I'll eat sweet potato if it's grilled, but I don't like sweet potato fries. Okay, not okay. fried. But yeah, sweet potato. No, no, thanks. Give me the the real thing. In Maine. And I'm sure it's throughout the country, but they're big in Maine. Uh, duck fat fries. Really? And I don't know what the difference is from a regular French fry. I guess it's made from duck fat. I don't know. Those are pretty good, though. And they lo- in Maine, that is a big deal. Mm. You go to the restaurant, you got to get the duck fat fries. And I'm sure they're available throughout the country at different places, but those are some good fries as well. Love a good loaded French fry? Absolutely. So go out and celebrate today, National French Fry Day. Get yourself some fries. I'm just... Looking at all sorts of different... The Wendy's French fries aren't bad.
1: Did you Google just a picture yeah, of French fries?
2: I'm <laughs> very, very hungry, let me tell you. The Burger King French fries may be on the low end. Uh, those are some of the fries that uh, not are not the best, too hard.
1: Yeah, and I, have you had their chicken fries as well? Uh, I do like the chicken fries. Yeah, those are pretty good, but it's not a real French fry. So you, it's yes. not even in the same category yeah, as normal out, fries. That.
2: Yeah, that's true. Anyways, celebrate accordingly on National French Fry Day. When we come back, top ten wide receivers... Uh, ESPN.com put out their list today as they did their survey with a bunch of executives and coaches and whatnot. We'll compare it to Trent's list from yesterday and talk about the best wide receivers in the NFL. The Morrow Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio.
0: Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
2: Who are the best wide receivers in the NFL? Tomorrow a midday show at Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. ESPN.com has been doing this last week and throughout this week. They're ranking the top ten players at each position based off of fifty league executives, coaches, scouts, and players, coming up with the top ten players at eleven different positions. We spoke earlier this week about the quarterback position, touched on running backs yesterday. Today's list is the wide receivers. Now, yesterday trent gave us his list then we broke it down a little bit of top five wide receivers and we were curious to see how it would stack up with the official list of the executives and coaches and players on espn.com so let's run through this and i guess we'll go off of the list on espn.com compare it to the list put together yesterday by trent because right off the bat you start off pretty good number one Devonte Adams, number two, Cooper Cup, which is the same order that you had yesterday.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I feel like the Cooper Cup could have been one. Devontae Adams could have been two. But I feel like just as far as talent goes, those are the top two guys as of right now in the NFL. Felt pretty good about that. Felt pretty good about that.
2: Yeah, so as I was scrolling, the list goes from one down to ten. So when I was looking at this list earlier today, I was scrolling. I get to one. I get to two. I said, <laughs> wait a minute. We're two for two. Did he nail this thing? And, of course, this is all subjective in its opinion. Uh, but uh, the idea is that this would be a pretty good opinion to share with these guys in the NFL. Number three, they have Jamar Chase... Who did you have at number three?
1: I had Justin Jefferson, his teammate from LSU. So, and those ones probably could have been interchangeable, like we talked about uh, yesterday. But I was I was a little surprised that they uh, they put Jamar Chase over Justin Jefferson because Jefferson has had back to back fifteen hundred yard seasons in his first two years. I know Jamar Chase had a fifteen hundred yard season and thirteen touchdowns last year. They may be going off talent and you know further on in their NFL careers. But both those guys, you could have flipped them three and four.
2: Yeah, and I agree with you. I would put Justin Jefferson, as of now, ahead of Jamar Chase. Yes, I'm a Vikings fan, but as you mentioned, he he's done it a little bit longer. Not much longer. He's just gotten in the league himself, but a little bit longer than Jamar Chase, and uh, both just with immediate flashes in the league. Jamar Chase's highest ranking was number one. He got number one votes. His lowest ranking was eight. So everybody, all 50 voters, put him in the top eight, which I, I think is, is fair to assume that that would be the case. Then we get to number four, the aforementioned Justin Jefferson is number four on ESPN.com's list. By the way, his highest ranking was two. So some people may have had Chase one, Justin Jefferson two of best receivers in the league. However, the lowest ranking, some voters actually left Justin Jefferson out of their top ten, which I find surprising. Last year, he was only an honorable mention. Now he's number four. So Justin Jefferson's number four. You had him three. Does that mean, did you put Chase four?
1: Uh, No, so I had actually, I flipped them right before we did the segment. I had Chase four, and then I put DeAndre Hopkins right, at right. four and Chase at five.
2: Okay. Their number five, Tyreek Hill. Mm. So they're, that's their top five ESPN.com's list. Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill as the top five. And your top five, you had... Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, and then you had Justin Jefferson, DeAndre Hopkins, and Jamar Chase. Correct, correct. DeAndre Hopkins, by the way, is seventh on the list on ESPN.com. His highest ranking was two. Lowest was out of the top ten. He was number two last year, now number seven. When you looked at this list, this top ten list, what stood out most to you from uh, the ESPN.com list?
1: I think Tyreek Hill at number five. Uh, That that stuck out uh, over everybody. I think also uh, Stephon Diggs at number six. That was a little surprise being over DeAndre Hopkins and Mike Evans and Ebo Samuel as of right now. That surprised me just a little bit because the drop-off for uh, Stephon Diggs. But, again, for Tyreek Hill, obviously the numbers speak for themselves. The play on the field speaks for themselves. I wouldn't – like – in a way, I know he is a wide receiver but he just seems like a do-all player with the amount of you know movement that happens pre-snap for him. I can't even imagine what Mike McDaniel's going to do with Tyree Kill. He's probably going to be running the ball a lot. He's a do-all player for me, not a true number one wide receiver and that's what I was kind of going off of here. Uh, everything else though, I mean Mike Evans in the top 10, I had him in my uh, honorable mention list. Debo Samuel also had him. DK Metcalf at 10 was a little interesting as far as talent goes. There's no doubt that he's one of the best in the NFL, but let's remember he had obviously Russell Wilson throwing him footballs last year and Geno Smith because Russell was hurt. And now he has Drew Luck. So, how good will he be uh, without a Hall of Fame quarterback in Russell Wilson? That one surprised me just a little bit. And then the honorable mentions that they had were kind of fill in. The only thing I would say we had a caller mention DJ Moore not being on my top five or top 10 or my honorable mentions. DJ Moore is not on any no. of the honorable mention lists. And also, there's a, a smaller category that says also receiving votes. So, not even honorable mention. He's not on that list either. So, I, I don't know what the public and the executives think about dj moore but he's not on any of these lists
2: yeah 22 different wide receivers are listed in this article as having received votes dj moore, as you said is not one of them so he's outside of the top 22 which i did find surprising some of these other names you know i don't know deontay johnson or dj moore you, you could debate it mm. uh, mike williams was on the list of honorable mentions t higgins got some votes there are good wide receivers it's hard to pick it's like picking your favorite child if you want to put dj moore in this list or just in this article and remove somebody You know, who are you removing? Uh, Honorable mentions Keenan Allen, A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin, Chris Godwin, Michael Thomas, C.D. Lamb, Mike Williams. So certainly a lot of good names as the wide receiver position is getting better than maybe ever before. You nailed, uh, you had four of the the five same players. The one difference was Hopkins and Tyreek Hill, and then um, you had the top two correct, and uh, the other guys were, were moved around a little bit
1: i tell you what, this list is going to change a lot next year, Yeah, a lot next year. I don't think Devontae Adams will be the number one any longer just based off of numbers. Personally, if I can give a prediction right now and Anderson clipped this, Jamar Chase will probably be the number one receiver in the NFL come next season. I just, it's inevitable at this point for this guy. And you could also make the argument for Cooper Cup because, I mean, you look at this for Cooper Cup, highest ranking one, lowest five. So, you know, hes he's very, very good, and he'll probably have a great season with Matthew Stafford as well.
2: Along those lines, I think Tyreek Hill will take a hit. Yeah. Um, I think Mike McDaniel could be a good fit in the system, but, man, you go from Patrick Mahomes to Tua potentially, that would be a concern. For this list, I don't know if they went off of, like, who in order of who you would draft or take on your team in terms of just ability, in terms of expectations. As you said, for DK Metcalf, I mean, he has a really high ceiling, but now he has to catch passes from Geno Smith and Drew Locke. That will hurt his production this year. Um, Are we just simply basing it off of skill set? Are we basing it off of expectations? I don't know. Uh, But Tyreek Hill is a speed receiver who um, is heading towards, you know, his 30s. And now you go from Mahomes to Tua. And I like Mike. We love Mike McDaniel around here, but hasn't been a head coach yet, where you had Andy Reid, who is a very good play caller. So there's some questions with Tyreek Hill. I would not have included him in my top five, as you did not. Um, But he is uh, number – that was the one – difference maybe the one surprise when we compare lists he was in the top five
1: how about your boy stefan stefan Diggs. do you like him at number six do you think he is the sixth best receiver in the nfl as of right now
2: i think that's fair he was somebody that i mentioned yesterday right him and i think tyreek were the two names i mentioned immediately uh yeah i think that's fair um i would not put stefan in my top five but he probably would be right outside so if i did a list yeah six would probably be right around the area where i would put him um I think I'd actually put him ahead of Tyreek Hill, personally. Uh, I agree with that.
1: I yeah. do agree with that.
2: But the other guys, I would not put him ahead of Justin Jefferson, Chase, Cooper Cup, or Devontae Adams.
1: I think Keenan Allen, being an honorable mention on this list, I feel like he should have been 10 if DK Metcalf probably could have been on the honor. But at the same time, athletic freak looks like Calvin Johnson, puts up good numbers. So it makes sense compared to a Keenan Allen who's, you know, six feet tall, 190 pounds, playing slot receiver. He, he runs great routes, but he's not – Keenan Allen's not going to have the splash plays like we see in yeah. the top ten. And I think that's maybe what the list is You know, going off of. That's why Jamar Chase is so high. At any given moment, there's a chance they could have a splash play. Same thing with Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams.
2: Yeah, Keenan Allen's kind of a forgotten receiver these days. Always. Also doesn't get a ton of touchdowns, so I think that hurts as well. Uh, he's also one of those guys that we you get that feeling a lot in college sports, not so much in professionals. He feels like, Keenan Allen feels like he's been in the league forever. Yeah, The guy is like 29. He uh, For some reason, maybe it's just me, I feel like I've been watching him for, I thought he was like 35. And uh, he just turned uh, 30 uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, he always has seemed maybe it's the beard and the fact that he's bald, uh, I don't know. But he's always seemed so much older to me than he actually is.
1: No, that, I agree with you. All. I thought he was 35, you, yeah. you know, and still kicking and still a great wide receiver. That's why I probably would have had him in my top <laughs> ten. Yeah, I mean, he was born in 1992, folks. He's just turned 30. Yeah, so.
2: it's wild. He's always seemed so much older. Anyways, you can go find the list uh, if you are an ESPN Plus subscriber. Find the full list online. Um, and uh, what are they? The tight ends comes out tomorrow, and then offensive tackles.
1: Yeah, and you know, interesting here, a guy who hasn't played football in quite some time, uh, they have Michael Thomas on the honorable mentions list. I don't really get that because when's the last time we've seen him play football? A year and a half ago? Two years ago?
2: Yeah, that's fair. He's a big question mark. We don't even know what the issue is. Is he even going to play this year? Right. Was it Sean Payton? Uh, Is he going to return? Who knows? And then um, OBJ also received votes who is a free agent coming back from an injury. That's not as big of a question mark as Michael Thomas, but I thought that was interesting, too, that he received votes... um, After what he did in L.A. and then uh, blowing out his knee or whatever it was in the Super Bowl. And we'll see what we get from him in the future. But he at least received votes. He's on the list. And Adam Thielen, my guy, receiving votes. I know. I saw that. I mean, that's got
1: to feel pretty good that you have two, you know, very good receivers on your list. Tell you what.
2: Kevin O'Connell and that offense. Look out for Minnesota. Kirk Cousins, starting quarterback. MVP. (laughs) I think he's plus 10,000 if I'm not mistaken. You can get in a second house on Kirk Cousins. (laughs) Thank me later. When we come back, uh, I teased it earlier, Major League Baseball, they're going to try out a new rule in the minors, and uh, I don't like this idea either, like most of the other ones. We'll get to that coming up. More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio.
0: Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
2: Coming up, the latest idea in baseball and why I'm not a fan. Get to that on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Plus, I forgot to uh, circle back to this earlier, but the, this idea of quarterbacks not only are good for your, your team's health, but apparently your own personal health as well. I'll get to that in a few moments as well. Now, I was obviously out of town last week, so I was just on a few flights. Trent, I know you'll be on a, a plane here in the next couple of days. Uh, a couple of things for my travels, and I was uh, I guess you could say you know, we haven't gotten to this yet this week, but a couple of things number one tough times for everybody these airlines now are nickeling and diming you to the point where uh you have to pay for a carry from some of the airlines I flew on you got to pay for a carry-on bag, let alone check bag If you want to bring a bag on you got now you got to pay for your seat no matter where your seat is, even if it's on an upgrade I don't know what the point of the ticket is and you have to pay for a seat. And on my flight last week, no free uh, drinks or snacks. You used to get the option of a soft drink, or maybe they give you some cookies or something. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, they're charging you. Really? I won't, I won't say what airline. Although I fly, I flew two different airlines, neither one offered anything for free when it came to snacks on the flight.
1: That's that's incredibly surprising. Yes. Incredibly. And, and you know, I was thinking about it, because sometimes if the flight is a little shorter, then they won't do the, you know, food and beverage service. But you're flying from Connecticut. I mean, that's not a yeah.
2: short trip. Yeah, two hours. Long enough. Can I get a
1: soft drink here for free? Come on, help me out. Can <laughs> I get a ginger ale to yeah. it, you know, calm my stomach? What Seriously? are
2: we doing? For real. A couple of questions, though, that I have for you. You're a, uh, a frequent flyer and somebody from a, a family with those who have worked in that area. Sure. A couple of questions when it comes to the rights and wrongs of, of <laughs> traveling. Number one, on my flight up to Connecticut, I happen to be on the same flight as a, a, as a, a friend, actually. Mm. Him and his girlfriend. They were flying back up home to Connecticut as well. They live in the area now. We're both from the same site. We grew up together. Now we both live here. They were in the front row of the plane. I was in the middle. I don't get the, the seats at the front. My move when I do a carry on, I don't want to have to worry about not having any overhead availability oh, yes. down. Yeah. So the first time I see plus I don't have to it's less time of me carrying my bag. The first open overhead bin I see, I put my bag in there. So I was talking to my friend and his, his lovely girlfriend. They sit down in the first row. They didn't have any carry-ons. Mm. So I thought, perfect. Here's an open bin right at the front of the plane. I put my bag up there. Sure. Go back to my seat. Then I saw at a certain point, uh, she, she got up and looked at the overhead, and I don't know. It's, but my question was, I was concerned if that was a faux pas. Are you pro or against the idea of just putting your bag wherever, even if it's not over your seat, you take whatever overhead bin is open and not the one that is tied to your seat?
1: Oh, no, I'm so pro because in in my travel experiences, uh, I can say this on air, I fly standby because my parent, you know, connections within the uh, mm-hmm. airlines. So I'm usually the last person to board the plane. Sometimes I'll be sitting in, say, 15C and my bag is in 30D because that's the only spot left. No, but it, whenever you see an open spot, especially, Luke, if you're towards the back of the plane, you can put it wherever you want. I think that is there's no problem with that
2: whatsoever. All right, good. I didn't want to tick off uh, these people. No. I do that all the time, and I don't know if people get upset if they, you know, maybe they haven't gotten on the plane yet, and now they go to sit down, and there's somebody else's (laughs) bag above them. I don't know. I don't know if this is against the unwritten rules of air travel, but the moment I see an open uh, container, I'm, I'm not carrying my bag any further. I throw it right up there. And I'll be there when I get off the plane later on.
1: No, no, don't put it in, like, row 8 if you're in row 35, but, you know, (laughs) if it's open. Now, I would say because you got first class and then you got comfort and then you Mm -hmm. have, you know, the economy seats, I would say try not to put them in the comfort plus or the, uh, you know, the first class. But if you can put them anywhere, if you're in 30 and you put it in 15, that's a win right there because you can just get off and grab it and go.
2: I certainly don't do it in first class. I could tell the difference. But beyond that, I don't know. Everybody I can't tell the difference who's paying what for what seat and what member they are.
1: That might be on only like uh, specific airlines. Yeah.
2: My other thing too on the flight back down to the Low Country last week. I Sitting, and again, this was an airline that you pretty much had to pay for almost any seat. I paid a little extra to sit on the. I'm an aisle guy. Where do you mm. like? To, where do you like to sit on the plane?
1: Uh, aisle or window? Uh, obviously, I mean, you don't want to sit in the middle. Yeah. But if I could, if I could pick a spot, I would like to be uh, in the aisle. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm with you. I think the windows. People always say they want a window seat. I think it's overrated. Uh, I want the aisle where I could stretch out my legs. When, the, when they used to come by with the drink cart, that was a pain. But now you don't have to worry about that anymore. I end up closing the
1: window anyway. Yeah. Like, who leaves it open? Only right. children leave it open. If you leave it open, I'm going to give you a stare from across the aisle and tell you to close the window.
2: Now, that's a fair question. If you're seated—I'll get back to my original point in just a moment, but now this <laughs> brings up another question. If you're seated next to the window, who is it? Is it solely on you to have control of that window? Or do you have to be courteous to the other people in your—like, who controls— if the shade is up or down.
1: I think it's the window. Like Only the person that
2: sits next to the window. Only
1: but I feel like you got to be courteous. You know, like if if you're flying at night, I get leaving it open. It's fine. But if you're flying middle of the day and it is sunny out, close yeah, so the is. dang window. I mean, what are we doing? You're looking at clouds for the next hour and a half. There's That's no true. point. Maybe when we're you know descending, right. you can open it to see the city if you want. If you've never been there before, it's the same thing every time. But yeah, I just leave the window closed. What are we doing? It gets hot.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. All right, getting back to my original story. I'm sitting on the aisle. It's not a full flight. So I'm in the aisle. There's a woman, an older woman who was was very nice, next to me in the middle. And then nobody was sitting by – well, no, I take that back. Originally, somebody was sitting by the window. They moved their seat. People were moving their seats because it wasn't a full flight. So a family gets on. And it was a family of, like, five. And there's obviously only three seats in each aisle. So they wanted to be able to sit, like, across from one another. And so they were going to have three on one side, and then uh, there were the some kids. The grandfather and the mother was trying to sit across from them. Long story short, they sit down in the, aisle, the row, like right across the aisle from me. Okay. Three seats over there. Then there's the mother who's left, one person left. I'm sitting in the aisle. The woman's next to me, and then they have the window. She says, I'll sit over here across from you guys. The only seat that opens the window. Right. She says, I'll sit by the window. The woman next to me, who is in the middle, gets up and says, oh, no problem, we'll move down, and you could sit on the aisle. Now, I'm not with this woman. We're strangers. Whoa! She offered up, which, by the way, I paid uh, only a few bucks, but just the principal. I'm a big principal guy. I paid for the aisle seat, and now, not only that, you'd be moving me into the middle seat instead of the aisle. Can't do it. She offered up my seat to this woman to sit on the aisle to be with the family. If you were in that position, are you offering up that seat? No way.
1: No no, I'm sorry. Like if I if if I have to move to the middle seat, there's Ugh. no way I'm going to give up my other seat. I, I sit in the middle seat a lot, no doubt, because flying standby, mm-hmm. I always am in the middle seat. I would never ever do that. Now if I got to move from the aisle to the window, sure, but no way. And also, hey lady, don't be offering up my seat. Yeah. Do I know you? I don't know you.
2: Absolutely. Stop speaking for me. That's right. So I just ignore she said She stood up and she said, oh, we can move over uh, if you want. And I think she said something to me like, if that's okay, I ignored her. And I just stood up and stood in the aisle to signify, if you want to sit in this row, I'm getting out of the way for you to go sit by the window. Man, you're a better man than me. I did not acknowledge it. Uh, This woman, yeah, volunteering my seat. I said, well, first of all, I paid for the seat. But more than that, I don't know you. Don't offer up my seat. Were you guys chatting? Were, were you and the, the lady chatting? No. The only, the only thing we chatted was she was in the wrong seat originally. <laughs> <laughs> and so as I got to my row, she said, wait a minute. Before you sit down, am I in the right seat? And I said, where are you? And she said, I'm supposed to be 22E, whatever it was. I said, no, you're in row 23. You're up here next to me. And so she sat next <laughs> to me. and She said, thank you. I said, yeah, no problem. That was the only conversation. And then more people were boarding. This woman and her family came. And this lady next to me stood up and said, "Oh, don't worry. This guy, this stranger next to me, will sit in the middle for you in the middle seat, even though he paid to be on the aisle." Ah,
9: so
1: that's a that's a cardinal sin, right? Yeah, there. Come can't on. do
2: it. Can't do it. If we were together, that's one thing. Sure, be nice. Offer up the seats for the two of us. You know, if I was dating this woman, but no, she was she was a stranger. She can't be offering up my seat. So good luck with uh, your travels and everyone else traveling out there. It's. Uh, between the canceled flights and everything else it's
1: crazy don't be that family also do not be that family like i traveled i have six people in my family we've traveled together we were all dispersed in random Same. places every single time we didn't have to sit together you don't have to sit together just it's two hours at the flight
2: yeah by the way it wasn't a full flight so when you go to book your seats there's open you know you could you could get your seats together or even if it costs you a little bit more hey that's the price of sitting together if that's what you want so anyways those are my travel experiences Uh, To pay off this tease, Major League Baseball came up with another rule against the shift. So we already have this idea that they're they're trying this out already in minor league baseball at certain levels where all four infielders need to be on the dirt. They've also then added two infielders on each side of second base. So you have to play in your position. Now, Major League Baseball just announced yesterday, and they're going to audition this at the A-ball level in the Florida State League, a league I used to work in, uh, that they're going to have painted on the field around second base it's going to be like a pizza slice if you imagine a pizza slice around second base and it's going to be a painted area and if you're an infielder you cannot be in this area prior to a pitch being delivered now maybe it'll turn into the cfl where you'll have infielders on the move and they'll be moving into that area as the pitch is being thrown but defensive positioning to begin the pitch you need all four infielders. This is what they're testing out in the minors and eventually hope to bring to the majors. All four infielders on the dirt, two on each side of second base. And not only that, now they're going so far as to say you can't even uh, play up the middle of the diamond. There's going to be a pizza slice uh, drawn up the middle of the diamond that you can't be standing in there. You have to make sure you are on the side of second base, to the left or the right, depending on if you're the second baseman or the shortstop. I think all this is ridiculous. And I think it's pretty pathetic for Major League Baseball and these hitters to make all these different conditions to try to help out the hitters. Last year, they added the shift to, or I should say the limitations on the shift, these rules. The second half of the season last year in minor League Baseball, the percentage of ground balls that turned into outs was 70.2% in the first half, 70.8% in the second half. So it actually led to more outs, and it was a difference of .6 anyways. Point being, these shifts don't matter. These guys that come up to the plate are not trying to ground singles up the center of the infield. They're trying to hit home runs. And if you think that suddenly by moving some infielders around, oh, now we're going to have batting averages return to where they once were only a decade ago, it's not going to happen. These batters are trying to hit it over the infielders and outfielders regardless. Suddenly just because, oh, great, they have two infielders on each side, now I can single up the middle suddenly. Right, like that, it that was stopping them from doing so years prior. This is not going to change anything. I think it's pretty sad that batting average is the lowest it's been since nineteen sixty eight, and the idea is, well, we just have to get rid of the shift, to the point that we're going to restrict where guys can be standing. You are a shortstop; you have to stay in this box. It's silly, and I think it's smart baseball to put defenders where guys hit it. It's also something that's been done for a hundred years. Don't listen to uh, these people that tell you that Joe Madden invented the shift and has ruined baseball. They were using shifts back in the nineteen twenties. This is nothing new. It's just that the hitters aren't good enough to handle it anymore. Stop with this idea of trying to ban the shift. Just become better hitters if you want. We'll wrap up your Wednesday when we come back. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
0: Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
2: Coming up your Wednesday on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston however you listen to your podcast. And the podcast is also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page. You can also take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Just stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com or through TuneIn Radio, your smart speaker, or our free app. Search ESPN Charleston in the App Store. Download the app today, and you can listen to the show live or on demand from anywhere in the world through our free app, espn charleston in the app store appreciate listeners checking in from at least nine different states and multiple countries on this wednesday afternoon the braves are now down seven to one in the seventh inning against the mets that's not great on their way to dropping two out of three and losing a little ground against the mets the mets have not been playing great baseball the braves had so this is a good especially on the road good litmus test uh good job by the the mets to put their foot down this week play some good baseball and looks like they're gonna take two out of three uh, if you're the Mets, you got to feel pretty good about that. And the Braves, maybe a little discouraging that you lost the series at home against the Mets, facing them for the first time in a few weeks. Hey, life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. For now, we say goodbye. We'll say hello again tomorrow at noon. The More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio.